promotional consideration paid for by the following. Did you see that look to a guy? My movie. Better. What is it? I don't even know what it's called. What is it called? Kevin. Dylan. You ready? Son of a bitch. You're trying to tell me that I can dodge bullets? The wrong side of the river! I'm Michael George. Stop it. Get some help. Tony Mona, the terrorist, had the president's daughter in the old bean factory off the 101. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad you will die. This is despicable. Billy, what's his name, show? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Church of Better Movies. My name's Kevin. I'm Dylan. And this is episode uh, 37 uh. of My <laughs> Movies Better. Uh, and even though Halloween has already come and went, uh, we're still doing spooky movies. We're stretching it out a little bit. Yeah. So for this week, we uh, did ghostly movies. Including such films as uh, Kuroneko or Black Cat and Beetlejuice. Yes, Beetlejuice or or the other movie, The Others. <laughs> Nicole Kidman, spooky. She's so scary. She's ghostly, white and pale. She's an angry mom. <laughs> but before we get to any of that. We gotta talk about our weird movie of the week. Hell yeah. That's right, it's Elvis feuding, Elvis loving, Elvis swinging as he joins his mountain kinfolk for a hey, hey, hey ride to good old mountain music in Kissing Cousins. Tatum territory, so get. What does that mean? The neighborly first warning, sir. It's the merriest mountain feuding you've ever seen. What's the second warning? A landmine? And Elvis takes both sides, kissing cousins by the dozens. As Josh, the snappy Missile Corps lieutenant, coming home to the Smokies. And of those kitty hawks, the curviest covey of backwoods babes you've ever seen. Pity a poor soldier boy on a day like this. They're no match for those love-hungry mountain gals. You gonna let me and my man go? Who wants to be liberated, lieutenant? And this is Jody, a rockin', rollin' hill boy who's wacky over a whack. And this is home sweet home, up in Denmark Mountain. Which was, yeah, it is a 1964 American musical Panavision Metrocolor comedy film directed by Gene Nelson and starring Elvis Presley. If you don't know who that is, you are too young. Written for, uh, written by Gerald Adams and Gene Nelson, the film featured Presley playing two roles, an Air Force officer with dark hair and his look-alike hillbilly distant cousin with blonde hair. Which is actual Elvis. It's both of them are Elvis. Well, no, but isn't blonde hair Elvis is that, like, yeah, natural true, true, Elvis. True, true, true. Yeah, true, true, true. Elvis is actual yeah, hair Yeah, just in case you didn't yeah. know that, Elvis does yep. not have black hair yep. as his iconic look does. So, so. Just so you know. That description didn't go far enough. So, yes, he is a war hero Air Force officer who's returning from World War II. This is a 1954 movie, so this was the same year as... Uh, so, oh, wait, is this the wrong... Oh, 64, okay. Uh, for a second, I was like, wait, is that Creature from the Black Lagoon? No, wait, that's next week. <laughs> anyway, um, but so... 
in, in the trailer, it, it showed uh, a little bit of what this film's all about. So he's brought back from war base, army base, or air force base, or whatever, by like a bunch of army guys in jeeps, and they drive out into hillbilly country, North Carolina, where he's from, and they drive in, and there's like a sign, and the the uh, the army guy's like, what's that mean? And it says, like, something county, get get gone or something like that. Like, get out if you're not from around here, basically. Right, is yeah, the sign. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, it sounds like a warning. And then they get shot at by some dudes. And it's like these, like, you know, it's like the whole Hatfields and McCoys sort of uh, American feud. It's like hillbillies shooting at fucking people. And people are just being like, oh, well, hell, you're down in hillbilly country. You're bound to get shot at. Like, <laughs> the whole yeah, thing just yeah, has naturally yeah. happen. It, it's fun. like, uh, it's like we, and I think, I don't remember if we talked about it on this episode, but it's like, uh, yeah, we did. It was, uh, Little Abner. Oh, remember yeah. Remember we talked about Little Abner? Yeah. It was part of this 1950s craze of, like, hillbilly stuff that also spawned, uh, in, in, like, through the 60s, it also spawned shit like Song of the South, the famous racist ass Disney movie, um, and, like, other things Disney in. Disney did something racist. Disney did something. You are wait, so wait, young. Wait, yes, what? yes. No, Disney kidding. did many things racist. So like, yeah. <laughs> no, have you never heard of you know Zippity Doo Dah? Yeah. The song. Yeah. Song of the South is like a movie about black people who want to stay in like the white plantation life. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty bad. There's actually a really cool sh- uh, shout out to a really cool podcast that I'm listening to about it right now. Uh, called uh, You Must Remember This. Um. But yeah, anyway, this movie, it's it's also that uh that ride at Disney World with the bears, the v- fucking Splash Mountain and the fucking uh the fucking I've never been to Disney World. Well, you know Splash Mountain, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know like the country bear jamboree. <laughs> Your face. Uh yeah, country bear jamboree is like another ride at Disney. Um yeah, they're I all part know that one. They're all part of they're part of Song of the South's like Holy character. Fuck. Splash Mountain is literally like from Song of the South or something like that. I don't remember, but that's the really? connection there that okay. yeah. That's the movie that that ride is is from or whatever. All right, well, I guess um, I'll go on that one. But yeah, but so there's this whole like wave in the 50s uh and it wasn't I mean it was d- different places had their own but it was like wave of like american uh you know, like the popularization of stereotyping different parts of america as and and, and looking at it in like a quaint way right. so this movie is literally about like a feuding like, like hatfields and mccoys style like feuding families trying to murder each other in the south that but like played at like a, a high comedy like sex comedy angle, like even the trailer it's like a bevy of bodacious babes and stuff. But it's all about Jesus fucking kissing Christ. cousins. And there's a song. Yeah, where what he's the like, fuck? The first red flag is the name of th- this movie. There's a song where he literally is like, oh, I'm kissing a cousin and it's okay. Like, I'm, oh it's, there's like the God. lyrics are literally what like that. Fuck? It's like we're kissing cousins. But it's okay. And it's like, what yeah, the that's fuck? That's so fucked up. Like, you could not make a movie like this now. No. Especially no named Kissing Cousins. No. Like, and it's like making fun of, I guess, like the, you know, the proclivities of people in the South. Again, stereotypically to include incest. But 
it, it's just the whole the fact yeah. hey I, this uh, it's not funny <laughs> this like when when I, when we started doing weird movies of the week this was the type of movie i was looking yeah, for yeah this is a weird <laughs> fucking movie i highly suggest watching the trailer it's hilarious it's kind of shot like uh the original parent trap okay movie where they had the split screen you know so they could have her on being twins even though there's only one actress yeah, right, right, right. So, so sort of a similar thing there's a couple of fight scenes between elvis and elvis oh yeah. hell yeah all right <laughs> where you okay. know like they'll they'll do stuff where like he turns the stunt double around and the stunt double's face is pressed into his jacket so it looks like oh you didn't yeah. see his face though you know right, right. Uh, they find their ways to get away <laughs> yeah with it. but anyway we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna jump straight into kuro neko Yabu no Naka no Kuroneko, a black cat in a bamboo grove, or known simply as the black cat or Kuroneko, is a 1968 black and white Japanese horror film directed by Kaneto Shindo and is an adaptation of supernatural folk tales. Uh, set during a civil war in Japan's Hainan period, the spirits of a woman and her daughter seek revenge after losing their lives in a brutal incident film was made in black and white toho scope format was not dubbed in english and it was shown sub- subtitled only in the u.s in 1968 is my pick this week and it's a ghost movie <laughs> it fits the thing yeah it stars kichimon nakamura as gintoki our main character hero samurai funny uh or it's not funny but interesting side note about nakamura um he is one of the most famous japanese kabuki actors of all time oh really uh yeah he is called the living national treasure of japan yeah and i had no idea about this i've seen this movie a lot and i never knew that this was the same guy like i didn't i knew i'd heard of him before but i didn't know that it was the same guy yeah that's fucking awesome it also stars uh, yes, he's still alive. Yep. Nice, cool. I think out of all these actors, he might be the only one who's wow. still alive. Legend. Yeah. Living legend. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, so he's a famous Kabuki actor and from a long line, because Kabuki actors pass down their Kabuki stylings to their sons. And uh, so like he... Very traditional. Yeah, I read something where he had some weird thing where he like took the name of his grandfather. It's like, because basically the way they, they take like a... A title name that's their dad's title name and then they're known as like that you know the number yeah so like right. they'll be named so like he but like he didn't take his dad's name he took his grandfather's name or something i i don't know it was weird yeah i was like okay i don't get what any of that means i guess i gotta yeah, read more about I kabuki guess, yeah, going against yeah. the grain whatever he's yeah. doing but we also have, since we did cover uh, Shindo's film from two films before this, uh, Onibaba, we have some returning actors from Onibaba, including Nobuko Otawa, who plays the mother in Onibaba and the mother in this film, um, Kei Sato, who plays Hachi in the first film as Raiko, and uh, I think it was Hideo Kanaze as Mikado, perhaps. I'm not sure if that's him. But anyway, there was there were three or more actors who were 
uh, from that movie who are also in this film. So right. we get to kind of look at how their uh, performances went on. Um, oh, skip down here to the... I put the critics in the wrong place. Well, no, that's wait. All right. Oh, no, I totally forgot. This one didn't have any taglines. Oh, that makes sense. And I didn't find a budget or box yeah. office. <laughs> so we'll, we just skip straight to the critics. Yeah, that's all right. Well, the critics... Uh, Ian Buckwalter from the DC says... It is, quote, a masterpiece of quietly creepy Japanese horror, which is definitely true. And I recommend watching Onibaba also if you're going to watch this because they're, like, of the same ilk. Definitely. Yeah. Like, totally. Um, Manola Davis of the New York Times gives it two thumbs up, which is always good. Uh, it's, quote, a ghost story that's more eerie than unnerving and often hauntingly lovely. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that one. Yeah. User George I calls it vengeance and interpretive dance. Yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a couple yeah. things to say about that. And user Andrew C raves, I ended up watching the last 45 minutes on Fast Forward just enough to be able to read the subtitles. Okay. It has a 95% critics rating and an 82% audience score. And it is a film that is a uh, film in the Criterion Collection as yeah. well. As we say every time that happens. Yeah. <laughs> trust, trust them. They, yeah. they know what they're doing. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I've there's definitely watched some like uh, films that were kind of boring on there because they were like more art films or something. Or they just weren't my... I wasn't into them, whatever. But they're always... they. I mean, they're initially... I think they're there for film preservation yeah. and availability so like, like there's always a reason why a certain film will get picked yeah and i feel like they're even if they're not up your speed they're worth a watch. right they're films that like should be watched but i think sometimes people mistake it as like oh they're the best films or they're like film school films and it's like yeah there's a lot most of those are there in it Definitely. but it's also like it's more for you know foreign directors and unknown films that are really really well known you know maybe in the industry or whatever um, but but didn't have critical acclaim yeah. enough it's outside like your favorite director's favorite film right exactly you know stuff exactly. like that so this film was released on the 24th of February 1968. Uh, some other movies from around this time included Dr. Strangelove, uh, Man's Favorite Sport, question mark, which <laughs> I could not find enough information on, but it just looked like it was a sports movie. Uh, from Russia with Love, which is one of my yeah, one of my favorite James Bond movies. And uh, our weird movie there kissing cousins from russia with love is a great movie hmm? from russia with love is a great movie <laughs> it is <laughs> I fucking love it is really good movies. uh for music um it was fucking february 1968 so it was beetle mania yeah, like crazy um i want to hold your hand uh, followed by She Loves You and Can't Buy Me Love over the course yeah. of the three-month span yeah. from three February, March to April. Yeah, three number just, ones in a row. Yeah, it was just Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. Um, Love Me Do, A Hard Day's Night, and I Feel Fine also went number one yep. by the end of the year yep. in the U.S. because it was just Beatle frenzy. Um, 
Not the case in the UK. No. Uh, <laughs> I was actually very surprised. Yeah, me too. You would expect while that was happening. Maybe they, this maybe probably they were pissed. This, no, this probably, charted, this probably <laughs> charted earlier or later in Britain. Right. With a lot of them, that's what happened, you know, because uh, it was probably released in Britain and Europe first. So it might have charted there first. True. Yeah. And yeah. then it hit America right. at that time. So, but in the UK at that point, uh, anyone who had a heart. By Silla uh, Black, yep. yeah, Silla Black, Black. Yeah. that was number one there, and then you also included the Japan. Yeah, one. I, I threw in this Japan play. one uh, because I almost was going to mention it the last time uh, for Onibaba, but uh, I couldn't find a copy of the song, and then I did find a copy of the song. It is uh, Hiroshi Wada and his M- Mahina Stars and their song Oshashiki Kuta. Which is, is it a jam? It's it's Japanese pop from the sixties. So, okay, so it kinda, likely, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. It's not bad. <laughs> all right. All I mean, it's the Silla Black song is also pretty good too. They're, yeah, I have heard that. Black you know, song. it's sixties pop. It it it's got a certain charm to it. You yeah, know? it's like well, that's like pre-city pop though, and that's kind of oh like, yeah like, yeah. Like, City Pop is where yeah. that hits my stride. It was still, like, Japan, I mean, it's really interesting. Japan has a couple of really interesting groups that just never really charted at all in America. One of my favorites is uh, the Jacks. And, uh, but they, they were just, they were making, like, they were making records kind of similar to stuff like uh, the Comanches and the Revels mm-hmm. and, and bands like that in America who, like, weren't, really good at playing their instruments at all and that's kind of like the basis of you know the very earliest forms of of popular rock and roll you know and and like uh almost like taking like better music and then just playing the simplest easiest form of it for school dances and that's like where you get the birth of yeah that's where they get the birth of a white man band and stuff you know those are earworms yeah it's all about but uh, so, but also all of these bands are more of the like high-priced studio output type stuff, where like you get these really beautiful, clean recordings, and all the instruments are being played by fucking professional session musicians and shit. Yeah. So, they all sound really, really good, and they don't quite have that like rawness to them yet. It's a little bit before, you know. Obviously, like this is right before the you know. 69 and all the shit that was going to happen at the very end of the 60s yeah. so this is like the waning years of the 1960s and before the summer of love and all that shit yep um in 1964 in video gaming wow we already talked about this a little bit uh including when we mentioned bbc vic the baseball demonstrator and three-dimensional tic-tac-toe mm-hmm. Um, but so I want to talk a little bit about this fun thing I found. I was looking for more information on this era. Uh, this is, uh, some Barbies from 1968. We had Barbie dress up fashion clothes, including career girl, career girl, Barbie, lunch date, Barbie, registered nurse, Barbie, candy striper, volunteer, Barbie, ballerina, Barbie, and many more. Jesus. Um, there's also I love lunch date Barbie. Yeah, that's lunch hilarious. date. Yeah, she's going for a lunch date. That's her fucking oh existence. That's, yeah, that's it. Um, Barbie exists for lunch. <laughs> that's it. There were also there was also Doctor Ken, airline pilot Ken, 
Sailor Ken, Army Ken, and Air Force Ken. Man, <laughs> Ken. Whoa, slow down, buddy. Yeah, what was this, 64? This is uh, 68. I think I said 64 above, but I believe it was actually 68. That would make sense. Yes, it was 68. Fucking, they're just trying to give them the most yeah. like chiseled military jobs at the point where like country's in war. Right. <laughs> and they're just trying to glorify <laughs> the idea of right? being all these different, like, sources in the military. Mm -hmm. Computer. Computer, come in. Yes, they say here we are. Computer, I need sustenance. Ken died in Vietnam. And, and and if not, you could be a doctor or an airline pilot. Yeah, well, I mean, even that, like, doctors and airline pilots are huge. It's true. You know? Like, where's, like, flying cook Ken? <laughs> We're loser Ken. Yeah, or, yeah, or like, uh, highway toll booth <laughs> Highway toll booth taker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. D in incarcerated Ken. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah like ba bail yeah, bonds yeah. with Ken. Hobo Ken. <laughs> hey, he's a little bit more fun. Yeah, let's do uh, this. Those are all $1.67. You could also get Barbie's dorm room for $4.99. You could also get Barbie's younger sister Skipper doll, which, damn, I didn't even, I like totally forgot that that was a thing. That yeah. was a thing, and my sister had those. Really? She had wow. She had a Skipper doll. Skippers? It was like a, it was like a baby Is Barbie. It was like a miniature Barbie? It was like a Barbie? child Barbie. It was Weird. the weirdest looking thing. Weird as fuck. Um... And there's also uh, you can also get the party time set at fashion sets for Skipper for 192, and the world of Barbie books, which follow the adventures of Barbie Ken and all of her friends, for a dollar fifty-five in 1968. Christ. But wait, we missed something important. Uh, oh, oh. The last time we talked about this era in video games, uh, this. I give my the late 60s is when my favorite Metal Gear Solid game, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, takes place. So, oh, fun, fun stuff fact. there. Yeah, fun <laughs> fact. So, uh, let's talk about this movie a little bit. So, yeah, Kuro so. Neko uh, is a ghost movie. I picked it. I thought, since we had talked about Onibaba recently, it'd be fun to take a look at a director's uh, close follow-up film. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see, like, the how the the growth but still continuity to their right. original style in so those two movies what did you, you know? uh what did you think um so there Neko? there's uh it's it's hard to talk about it without just kind of comparing it to onibaba because that was such a recent thing for us but um there's a lot of what i initially thought was unnecessary repetition throughout the movie and in retrospect, I thought about that, and it's sort of to establish plot points and establish, like, character development. Totally. I also think that it's kind of, um, it makes it feel more like a myth story, you know? Like, it feels like a Greek myth where it, it just, like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then he had to kill the big monster, and then this happened. Like, yeah. it, it kind of plays out like that. Yeah, I feel like it. the movie itself, when you're watching it on screen, there's a lot of... Uh, kind of to tie back to what that fucking bozo said in the review, where he said he watched it on fast that forward. Bozo. <laughs> <laughs> where he said he, like watched it on fast forward. I like get that to an extent because there's a lot of scenes throughout the movie that are really stretched out yeah. and really long, and it makes you feel lost in the plot. But when you kind of break it down and think about it, it is very episodic and Definitely. very easy to follow. 
Well, I think it's similar to Onibaba, but the scope is expanded. Like, uh, both the films, I would say, could qualify as being, especially for their time, like art films, or, or at least inspired by art films. Like, there's a little bit of... Uh, it's not like outright surrealism, but it feels like nods to surrealist. I directors. can lean more towards yeah. surrealism, like the ballet stuff. Yep, like her the, like doing the flips in the air. Yeah, yeah. Um, or like, well, uh, they're sleeping together. It would cut to her randomly just doing ballerina poses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The mom, trees. The mom's the mom like dancing acts. and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and so it it's literally it must be this director's style because I said it with Baba and I'm saying it with this one too. The way that it's all shot and laid out is, it seems like it's written for stage, but done on screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, no theater, which we talked about a little bit yeah. uh, in the last, ep- in the Onibaba episode. Yeah. Um, it's it also like that. Well, it, it also like throughout the film, you're constantly being like reminded of the fairy tale nature of everything and like uh it it feels more it feels very in the vein of how the others is which we'll talk about later as a ghost film where uh the not to spoil it i guess but it's kind of a spoiler for the uh the others the ghosts are the are the main characters, or at least where you start. You know whether or not yeah. you know that or not, which you don't in the others. But in in the case of this movie, you do. You see their uh, you know murder and rape, and then you see them become ghosts, and you're introduced to them first before you're ever even anything is ever even said about him, about Hachi or Jin Jintoki or whatever you want to yeah. call him. You know. And so, like, it's it's interesting how the film is scripted and, and how it's... That's also very similar to how uh, Onibaba is. Like, and instead, of, instead of it being the hero in, entering, it's the mask itself, essentially, entering. Yep. But it starts out by, by providing you with this backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this movie has a bigger moral compass than Onibaba did. Definitely. I feel there are a lot more um, generally relatable themes mm. in it, mm. and uh, I feel like there's more development in the, the plot itself. You know, like you're Definitely. following these ghosts, but the ghosts are the ones with the the tragic flaw that right, is right. like your your pivotal point and your climax in this movie is the the ghosts and their whole. Uh, so to kind of backtrack onto it, they as Kevin mentioned, we're like killed in this thing and they come back as ghosts. <laughs> They're just killed in this thing. Yeah, I don't want to yeah, like... They were killed in... Yeah, they were killed and raped by like a bunch Japanese of samurai. Civil yeah. war, and a bunch of samurai came and pillaged and raped them and then they made... Burned down their house. They made a vow after they were deceased to a certain god to... The god of evil. The god of evil, yeah. Like, I don't know what the fuck that mm. is. You are very deceived by Satan. Your mind has been... Taken over, brainwashed. But they make a vow to that god that they will basically just kill every samurai that ever existed. That's their whole thing. And And drink their blood. And drink their blood, yes, specifically. (laughs) And um, then they're basically approached with like her son 
like the woman's son and the other woman's husband is also a samurai and he right. shows up and so now so again now they're at this moral crossroads again though very soon it's very similar but it's like the opposite of how Onibaba started this is the story where the son came back and the wife and mom are dead but Onibaba is the story where the son doesn't come back and the wife and mom live yeah. on like yeah. so I like that too where it's kind of like it's kind of like a different path for the same basic plot line to take yeah so that's but it's it's nice to see that your main characters are these these ghosts and that are doing like a horrible thing but it's kind of what what they should be doing right but then they're approached with this like this moral complex of should they continue to right to fulfill now you have vow. to kill the your you got to kill son your, your loved lover one, your yeah. son and your mm-hmm. husband you know so it's it's a cool a cool twist on there's what also you would like a a very huge difference between the way that like Hachi is compared to like the other guys you see who get killed they're like these. They're they're obviously being you know enticed and seduced by. Oh, they're just the drunken ghosts, soldiers, but, basically. But yeah, but know? they're like they're like presented in that like ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's have like, sex oh, yeah, sort of way. Yeah, 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 exactly. Give me the sake. Whereas Hachi is like immediately is like, you look a lot like my mom and my wife. Do you know? Yeah, what and then they're like, is? no, and he's like, okay, okay, that's weird. <laughs> but yeah, so, and again, also like Onibaba, it's very much like boot. It, I mean, highly Buddhist inspired. Oh, um, absolutely, absolutely. And like, there's even the whole part near the end where she's like, "You got to come read the sutra to me and stuff." So there's lots of like Buddhist themes, you know, peppered throughout. But I think what I like about this film more than Onibaba is that Onibaba's is way more hectic pace of a film and it, it's fantastic in that way. It works for that film. This film is a much slower and like it, it creates a creepier atmosphere. Yeah. There's a know? lot more frantic situations in Onibaba that sort of translate to that in your brain and it just becomes like an exhausting Right. Well, it's a different. Yeah, it's a different different story, and it fits. And like that, that shooting fits for what Mm -hmm. that movie is. But um, with with this movie, it's nice because uh, the patience in plot is translated to the patience in scenes. Yeah. Like there, it's it's a slow build thematically, and it's a slow build visually. Definitely. I think this is also a film that maybe another thing that that puts. Onibaba over it for me is that this movie didn't have quite the same like object you know the mask in Onibaba is really striking and just the image of it is it like stands out and though the cat works to some extent but I felt like I do feel like it's not used enough in the film and that like Aside from maybe the whole like cat arm tail thing near the end, it's just there's not quite a striking image that you can associate with the film. Yeah, you know, like there's well, not one image that, that like stands might be why out to I me. I personally might like it more than Onibaba because um, the like Onibaba is itemized. Yeah. in in the thrill, where this one is all like departmentalized into like mental right, right. actions. You know? True. True. I also think this this film really grew. Like Onibaba is much more uh feels much more like 
guerrilla filmed mm-hmm. or or whatever like like he he's more this film has more risks and special effects yeah. and oh yeah for sure and uh i think that the other thing that that is very different from onibaba is the stark black and white compared to the more like gray that onibaba looks like this film they went high contrast black and white yeah. and it looks great like even yeah. today it looks like modern a modern black and white movie you know what i mean like it looks like a racer head or something like yeah. it looks way way ahead of its time and by turning that contrast up you get these great scenes like one we were talking about uh before was uh when the there's one earlier with a random samurai and then there's later on you see a couple of of gintoki going out there but it's like a building being lit on one side of the screen and then him riding and everything else is just a wash of black you know you can see little bits of hints in there but for the most part and that's two different you know shots being superimposed and put together with that black to connect them but it works. It looks fucking great. And they do the same thing with like the Rajman Gate. I believe that was a set piece. And again, you it, by shooting it that way, you got this ghostly feel where like the whitest things in the movie were the ghosts. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like the dead giveaway. But since you already knew that, that it's perfect, you know? And it, again, this was more, I think, about look than most ghost movies are and about style and about... Uh, the 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 art of of the ghost film or something like that is the way i would put it this this is not something i'd watch to be scared i but it does fulfill your need to be like creeped out or in in, yeah and well like for it i feel like it does more for like moral crossroads than it does thrills you know like the whole the whole conflict of the movie is all based on like interpersonal connections Mm -hmm that they need to find peace with themselves right. whether they are a living person told to kill their mother and wife or they're a mother and wife who is wondering if they should drink the son of the blood yeah, of their yeah son. exactly you know, or it's like, be condemned to hell yeah exactly or be yeah. killed by the emperor right so they all are within it's like two your two main characters are in two massive like juxtapositions right, and right. they just don't really that's i think that is uh that's like a really really big pull on this movie for me i also think some of the differences from this and onibaba come from their source material so like we talked about on that episode onibaba was uh inspired or whatever by a buddhist parable that we talked about on that episode so if you want to listen to that go listen to that but this is based on a famous play that is called in a grove but has been come to be known as Rashomon. Um, and it is also the inspiration for Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon. But it is n- none of them are the actual in a grove store, the actual Rashomon story, but they use parts of it. Neither this nor Rashomon are actually <laughs> the actual story in really? a grove. Anyway. So, like, for obviously, Rajamon Gate is the big one, obviously, that's there. But also, uh, the character of Raiko is based on uh, Minamoto no Raiko, or uh, also known as Yoshitsune, 
who is like a famous real person slash Robin Hood type, you know, folkloric character. Um, and in his story, he's known for teaming up with this other famous non real uh, folkloric Paul Bundy ty- or not Paul Bundy, uh, Paul Bunyan type character. Ted Bundy. Yeah, Ted <laughs> Bundy. Um, but Paul Bunyan type character named Kintaro, which means gold head or golden boy. Okay. And uh, Gintoki or Gintaro would would mean means like silver boy. So it's like there. Yeah, this is almost. And I gotta say, there's some parts of this at the beginning that feel a little satirical and a little like some of the the opening kills. Like it's kind of a little. So it it feels like uh, how horror movies would become, where the the kills become a little bit of a fancy of the audience more so than they are something to be scared of you're yeah. you're alternately scared and rooting for the killer to kill the person at the same time yeah you know? i mean like the first like three well the first three like big kills with the ghosts are all done the exact same way and you're just watching the scene like right up up and chop they're like his neck, yeah, chop they're his like neck. drunken samurai who are trying to have sex with a with a a, a girl yeah like who's like in, in in like one of them it's like the guy trying to like chase her around the room and they're running around dancing and laughing but it's it still like has this thing where it's like oh so this guy's just gonna like come to this house and like sleep with her so like they're they're being set up to be killed and for you to not feel as bad yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're just that. falling into right. like the most simple bait in the point exactly and so a little bit of that, and there was some stuff too, like with the the scene where he brings the fucking head of the general to oh, to Raiko. Yeah. That scene is really funny. That like whole his, battle scene was interesting. Yeah, that battle scene is great. So yeah, yeah we could talk about we could we could kind of like talk about it in the sense of so the movie starts out, and as we said, you have uh, this great. I think it's ten minutes before there's a line in the movie. It's a silent, you know, of speech scene where the samurai come out. You see, like, a house, and the samurai come out of the forest. They descend upon the house. They There's two women inside. They rush in. They start eating the food. They grab the women. They start attacking them. And then the film kind of cuts to the outside. So, like, you see the beginning of what's happening, and then you already know what has happened. And then you see the samurai just coming out and leaving. And as they they descend back into the forest, the house house starts to burn, and it burns, and the women are both dead. And then you get the scenes we've been talking about, where they are killing the men and stuff. And so you're about thirty minutes in before finally you get to the hero. And once he's introduced, he's introduced as like essentially the the like dirty blind monk character from stories where he's like covered in dirt and mud his hair's all messed up and he's fighting this huge dude with a club basically where onibaba took place like in the reeds literally of Suzuki the grass. same exact yeah. setting yeah and uh i i as i kind of mentioned before i really like that introduction of the heroic character and being set up so it's what a lot of films do nowadays you know you set up Maybe not in that order, but you definitely set up each each like warring faction of a story separately, and then and then set them on a collision course to hit each other. You know, it's like so. I feel like this film is really uh, looking forward, or is something that like you know 
a lot of horror directors later on would take a lot from this film, whether or not they even knew it, because they're just taking from other directors who had taken from Kuroneko. But I right. think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it definitely uh, has a lot of inspiration on horror and fits in like the Japanese scary film canon very very nicely because it, especially because it's such an early film in it and and it works as a scary film but it also is like i don't know some i it i think it's something that definitely is something you should you should at least watch even if you don't care about you know the ghost aspect of it or if, if you're like i don't like scary movies well it's like not that scary so you won't be won't be that big of a deal, but it's a gorgeous fucking movie. It's one of the most beautiful black and white movies I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, so for sure. I, I cannot talk that up enough. No, yeah, like, <laughs> for something to be done beautifully like that is, like, like you can accomplish that. Right. And I appreciate that no matter what. If you can do a nice black and white movie and not make it feel forced, not yeah. make it feel like you're trying to be too retro or too, I don't know, at the time, they didn't need to do that. No, they definitely they didn't. They definitely didn't yeah. need to do that. They, but had, they had color films. And it, <laughs> it fits all the settings. It makes sense. Exactly. I give it a four. You give it a four. Ooh, wow. Mm. Point 0.5. I'm going to give it a five. Yeah. But, yeah, I I think it maybe, maybe it's not canon worthy, but... Yeah, the only reason I do that good. is because I know for a fact that a movie like that is right. not for everybody. And they're, like... There is rewatch value to it, but only uh, I feel like that only goes so right. far because there's not um, from what I gathered off of like a watch and a half of it. I don't think there's a whole crazy amount that you will unveil on further no. watching of it. No. You know, it, no, it's not as landmark as Onibaba. Right, exactly. You know, there there's a reason why it gets mentioned like secondary to to that. Right. Because uh as beautiful as it is, I do think it's a, a there's points of the film that are tedious. Um you mentioned it earlier like he's shouldn't his films are known for their repetition. But this film does that thing where he like repeats the same shot like two, once or twice every once in a while especially yeah, we talked about that what was the fucking movie where we talked about that with um but like in a row not like yeah, when no, they no it was that too. right but but that? not we were also talking about it like when they when they reuse shots like like out of order but you can tell it's the same shot i'm talking about like when that, it's alive it's that a, was, yep yep it, they do that in a row too but like you know like, okay, you know when fuck? like they do it like in an action sequence where it's like Jump, 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 jump. Yeah. And, and it's just like, okay, why did they do that? Yeah, it happened you know? with like, yeah, when yeah. the mother was flying. Yeah, at the very end. They replayed the same I, scene like three I, times. I'm not a fan of that. No. I, I've never liked that in movies. And he does it in Onibaba a couple times too. And it's just like, okay. And it's one of those weird director choices where you're like, he just doesn't need to do it. But yeah. He does. And, and, and like the fact that you don't do it a bunch throughout the film makes it feel like just don't do it. Yeah. You know, but. I think this film should be seen. I don't think that it's like the best film in the genre, but I think it's one of the most beautiful. I think it's like the, the, this is like the highest level ghost movies can get as art as like film or whatever, quote unquote film. It's the best ghost movie I've ever seen. That doesn't 
highlight the fact that you're watching a ghost movie. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to pick... You could, you could watch the yeah. entire movie and literally not realize you're watching a ghost movie. If you're going to pick a character for a fighting game and they're from this movie, what character would you pick? What character would I pick? Yeah. Um, all right, so... Choose your fighter. Choose your fighter. Right, let's play this fighting game. I'd pick the, even though he got his head cut off. I'd probably pick that big, big scary big motherfucker guy. with the gigantic Damn. like mace. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I forget his, his name is something bear because I remember at one point the guy's like, he was so he was, I couldn't believe how hairy he was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just this big scary guy. It's definitely <laughs> like, like if you're playing like Super club. Smash Brothers, it's like the Bowser <laughs> class yeah, of yeah. characters. I would big, go goofy fucking. I would probably go with the black cat. Yeah, yeah, honestly, it moves. Yeah, it like trans. The room, like, you just like transform into the mom. <laughs> yeah, for real. Exactly. So, yeah, so that's like playing like chic or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you like transform Samus character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Yeah, so I cool. That, four. that was good. So that was Karaneko. We're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back and. <laughs> it's showtime. <laughs> that was a terrible Beetlejuice. Not impression. a great Michael no. Keaton. Not, Not very good. <laughs> it's me, Michael Keaton. Nice fucking move. I'm yelling. <laughs> by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. Not very good. You don't want his help. Can you be scary? Nice fucking move. I'm yelling. Now, the party's over. <laughs> but the fun has just begun. It's showtime. <laughs> Beetlejuice. And don't say his name three times like you did with King Beetlegeist. <laughs> <laughs> is I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to spot it. A 1988 American fantasy comedy horror film directed by Timmy Burton, produced by the Geffen Company and distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. The plot revolves around a recently deceased couple, played by Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, who become ghosts haunting their former home and an obnoxious, devious, perverted poltergeist named Beetlejuice, um, not spelled the way of the star in the title, but that is how his name is spelled. But it's also not how he spells it because he is dumb, I think. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's something up with him. Yeah. Um, he played by Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Who is from the netherworld, and he is a, uh, what do they call him, a uh, bio-exorcist? Yeah, bio-exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Bio and he is there to uh, scare away the new inhabitants, played by uh, Kevin McAllister's mom, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, <laughs> uh, Mr. Rooney from fucking Ferris Bueller's yep, Day Off, Jeffrey yep. Jones, and the one, the only... Oh, be still my heart, Winona Ryder. Oh, love that girl. Yeah, she's is 
Uh, is Michael Keaton a podcast favorite? Uh, can we? <laughs> you can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you want to vote him there? in, yeah, I like Michael Keaton. He voiced He's Porco, definitely right. He was. Yeah, he was in Porco. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he was so Batman. He's. Yeah. Uh, like we give it to him. He's getting there. I'll give it. To, he. Yeah. Well. He's we'll, in contention. Yeah, I mean, he's Birdman is pretty good, too. True. That, and, appar- yeah. and apparently he's crazy in real life, so that always helps. Yeah, definitely. His... Yeah, we prefer the crazies. Right. Yeah. Um, the film also goes on to star Dick Cavett of The Dick Cavett Show, which <laughs> is another one where I'm like, oh, yeah, Dick Cavett's in this movie. Weird. Uh, Glenn Shaddix, one of my favorite character a- actors, who, if you don't know who that is, he's the guy who plays Otho. The uh, Catherine O'Hara's like spiritualist interior director friend. Oh yeah, yeah, her like art. Buddy. Yeah, and the one, the only, the velvet voice of Robert Goulet oh, himself. Yeah, which also, is another one where I'm like, fucking Robert Goulet is in this movie. See, see, honestly, that's the thing though. The cast on this is. Pretty pretty good. It's pretty, pretty good. Serious. It's also it's very Burtony. Oh, of course. Used a lot of these people. Yeah, again, it, it so. doesn't even need to be mentioned. But uh, music by Danny Elfman. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's it's implied. And, and Harry Belafonte. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I fucking love I think, Harry Belafonte. Four or five tracks of Harry Belafonte. Yeah, in this dude. Movie. Everyone that knows "Jump in the Line." Can th- like yep. everybody knows "Jump in the Line" yep. and everybody knows it because of Beetlejuice and and the Banana Boat song. Yeah, yep. everybody yep. knows that too. Yep. And it also has uh, "Man Smart, Woman Smarter" and another one. Yeah, there's at least four of them in there. But so Tim Timmy Boy's original choice for Beetlejuice was actually Sammy Davis Jr. Interesting. Yeah, that would have been weird. different. That, that would have been, been very different. different. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Geffen suggested Keaton. Uh, Burton was unfamiliar with his work, but was quickly convinced. And that would actually uh, star start a relationship with them that would lead to them working on Batman together. Um, and this, this film came about after the financial success of the Pee-wee's Big Adventure movie. And uh, so Burton was like being called a bankable director and he began working on Batman at that time but during that time he was also reading scripts and eventually would come across the Beetlejuice script however we have an emergency weird movie of the week insertion here yes one of the scripts that he was sent was a script for Hot to Trot which is a 1988 American comedy film uh, directed by Michael Dinner and it stars Bobcat Goldwaith and Virginia Madsen and uh, the voice of the legendary John Candy as a talking horse who gives uh, smart investment tips to an investment broker played by Bobcat Goldwaith. <laughs> so I couldn't just... What a sentence yeah, that is. I couldn't just ignore that. No, we can't just scroll over that. Um, it was a critical and commercial failure. It grossed only <laughs> $6 million. But this is kind of crazy to me. It made only six million, but on a nine billion million dollar budget, nine billion. Yeah, they. Hot to trot. Nine billion dollars. Hot to trot must be the most important thing in history. Yeah, the Nasdaq made this movie. (laughs) It also received five Golden Raspberry Award nominations, including Worst Picture, but it won none of them. I do like the Razzie nominations, though. Um, so we got a couple. 
like finally to make up for not having <laughs> yeah, any. Right. Uh, so we got some good taglines here. If it did have one, it would have just been like the most thrilling film ever. Yeah, from Japan <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again. So yeah, exactly. All right, yeah, true. <laughs> Probably better off without him. Uh, so we got say it once, say it twice. But we dare you to say it three times. He's annoying. <laughs> like what? You <laughs> dare you? His that's as weird as this. Like he's not even like like. Yeah, he's not a scary character. It's not like Candyman. Yeah, no, where it's yeah, like it's he, not like Candyman. He's annoying. It's not like Candyman. I guess Candyman. he's. Stop it. Yes, <laughs> like I guess he's sort of. He's it's sort of. Like frightening if you're a kid i guess or in a frightening way like obviously if he was actually sending those like yeah the turning into shit i think i can credit the first time i ever said fuck as a human to this movie (laughs) wait how old were you well i don't know this movie came out in 88 right yeah yeah i mean i was born in 96 so (laughs) So, like i feel like i watched beetlejuice as a kid and then just went like nice fucking model <laughs> I think like my parents were like, no, <laughs> that's no. beautiful. <laughs> because we watched like Beetlejuice around Halloween time. Oh, so yeah. when I was a little ass kid, and I heard that, and I like Damn. repeated it. I'm like grabbing my junk, and I'm just like, oh nice yeah, be- be- kids love at, Beetlejuice like, air- at like Ayers Ralph's side <laughs> <Yeah>. elementary. <laughs> it's like, and like the yep. teachers in there are like, why? <laughs> oh great, happening? yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Michael Keaton. Um, <laughs> Another tagline we have is, he's guaranteed to put some life in your afterlife. Oh. That's a good one. I like that. Oh. That's good. It's catchy. Uh, oh, what happened? <laughs> Spinning <laughs> head. It just, uh, maybe, th- maybe that is connected to the first one. Who knows? I don't know. Wait. Is it just a spinning head? Spinning head? Imagine Folks. that. The tagline just goes, spinning yeah. head. I don't know. I just copy-pasted this. So let me just see yeah, real see quick. There's a tagline that says spinning head. Yeah, I just took this from uh, IMDb. Because that wouldn't make sense. He's guaranteed to put some life in your afterlife spinning head. No, it doesn't make <laughs> any sense. That, that's not a sentence. It makes even less sense yeah. when you say it aloud <laughs> after saying that it makes sense. <laughs> no, I didn't say it makes sense. Oh. <laughs> My bad. Zero sense. No, that's literally what it says on here. We had those first two, and then the third one, it just says spinning, spinning head. head. Okay, so our third tagline. <laughs> that's spinning the name of this head. fucking. That's the name <laughs> of this episode now. Spinning, spinning head. head. Um, we uh, also have another tagline. <laughs> <laughs> In this house, if you've seen one ghost, you haven't seen them all. That sucks. <laughs> That tagline is so stupid. Oh, what an asshole. Oh, well, I don't know. It's a little bit clever. It no, w- it's not. A little bit. It's You're not like, clever at all. That's like, that's like, but if you live in a ghost, in a, in a house with one ghost, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> right? Because there's mean, more ghosts in the house. Yeah, I mean, I get like where the line's coming from, but that's dumb. Yeah, true. Because, like, I guess, well, because you'd see that, like, say you go to the theater. You're seeing a different movie. You go see the poster <laughs> of Beetlejuice, and the tagline is, in this house, if you've seen one ghost, you haven't seen them Yeah, all. but it's probably... And you're like, oh, my God, this movie's going to be so scary, and there's going to be ghosts sneaking up, and then the movie starts with a couple that both die, and then both become ghosts <laughs> together. It is true. But it's probably it's like, written like, in, in this house, if you've seen one ghost, 
you haven't seen them all, you know? And like, yeah, that, these taglines. So yeah. Also, I gotta like put. I guess I gotta remember that this is like a family, family yeah, comedy. Yeah, exactly. So I can't yeah, expect it to I, be like a scary tagline. I don't even know what. It, I mean, it must have been rated R if it had. No, it wasn't rated R. It was PG thirteen. I'm pretty but sure. But it had there an were F only a lot of that. Well, there a lot of one. That was the one F word. Yeah. There were yeah. no other swears other than that. No, he said shit, I thought, too. I don't think so. Where is it? I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that they, like, just smashed that fucking fuck button <laughs> in that one scene. I don't... I'm not seeing anything on here. I'm pretty sure... Cause oh. that's, it says it's PG. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's not true. It literally says fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I get like a PG thirteen movie. Maybe, maybe fuck, in maybe no in nineteen eighty eight that was what did they censor? No way. No, it's no, PG? they didn't censor it, but they, that was parental guidance because he's oh my fucking God. Says I guess yeah, I fuck guess. in this movie. Yeah, he say fuck, and the parents like chill, 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 uh, yeah. chill, chill. You know, you should <laughs> like probably you know, yeah. chill, 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 guide your that. kid into knowing what that and means. And then the final tagline we have <laughs> is uh, the name in laughter. From the hereafter. That one I remember being. Yeah, that's a good one. I think that was used in the trailer or something. The budget. Uh, I had a couple of VHSs, but and back in the day, I know I have one somewhere. I have a VHS that has the Beetlejuice uh, VHS, or I think it was yeah, I think it was the B- yeah. Beetlejuice VHS uh, trailer at the beginning, and I'm pretty sure that's what they said in it. Like, prepare for some laughter for the hereafter. That's the, hereafter. the best part about resparking a collection of VHS right now that I'm doing. Is when I get to watch him, I get to see the coming soon yeah. to a theater near Dude, you. Dude, all right. So like quick aside here, I was watching. Um, I put on Mortal Kombat earlier, and I forgot at the beginning of that one. It has two Jim Carrey previews oh, right in a row. Hell yeah! It has the mask followed by Dumb and Dumber, and the Beautiful. Dumb and Dumber trailer is like stupid, <laughs> and with like a definition, and like idiot, like it keeps, <laughs> and then it in between each one of them. It plays like the the worst jokes from the from the whole like like even like stuff that's like non jokes like the thing where when he's like filling up the 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 car the truck with gas and he's talking to the lady who has dogs in the car and he's like are those your dogs and she's like uh yeah like that was in the trailer like it's like you're supposed to be like good one but anyway but yes I do love like. The trailers from yeah, that the era trailers are on great. VHS are the best. I fucking love those. Uh, so the budget was uh, fifteen million dollars, mm-hmm. and we are gonna mark this one as a success yes. because it made seventy four point two million dollars. Yep. Uh, U.S. In fact, it made worldwide. It made eight million just in its opening weekend alone. Wow. That's in the a, U.S. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. Let's take that. True. Gene Siskel gives it two stars and calls it an overly ambitious special effects comedy obviously influenced by the success of Ghostbusters. I disagree with the latter, but I agree with the former on mm, that. Uh, I kind of I kind of agree with the latter, too, because it, it like, was post-Ghostbusters. I mean, it was, but I think the special effects level of it is no, nothing like Ghostbusters, no. and it, that was done purposefully. Like yeah. it, Burton specifically wanted it to look like the classic B and and uni- the Universal yeah. horror movies and stuff, where the special effects were done out of necessity of technology, 
and so that they, they're supposed to look kind of crappy. He he was going for Plan Nine from Outer Space on purpose, right. but like with a finished, you know, good. It, so it looked good, but it also looked like something from the fifties or right. the sixties. You know, uh, Dom Nero of Esquire said a fearlessly original piece of work. User Jason N gives it two and a half stars and calls it. Sorry, just not a huge fan of Beetlejuice. <laughs> that was, I love review, reviews like that. Honestly, like, just didn't like the yeah, movie, man. Just Sorry. don't write a review, guys out there on Rotten Tomatoes. You don't. You don't have to write yeah, anything. You can just it. rate you it. Watch the movie. Yeah. You don't need to. You can just put, click the that. thing on the stars. Yeah, you don't have to write. Or you just be like, I don't. I didn't like it. But like yeah. I love when people write reviews like that. Honestly, I'm so happy that for some reason that brought me to the Netflix rating system where they mm. changed it to just thumbs up and thumbs down. So happy they did that because yeah, like if you dig into giving things like half star star ratings, it's like okay now you're 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 kind of you're going over the the deep only end, reason know? I do it. For us, with the it, and like I it's always, it's different in a setting like this. But well, like, if you're just on a like an app like that, like true, true. Tomatoes, it's like, did you like the movie or not? Yeah, you know, pretty much. Like, and you like, give it like your star to rating. Me, and I like, go, yeah, I don't know. I like full star ratings for the most part. Like uh, this one wrestling reviewer that I like to watch, Wrestling with Regret. Shout out. He um he does a four star rating yeah. and it, he does do halves, but like, I like having a little bit more wiggle room. I like being in, you know, the way we always explain it. Like I like having, it's like zero, one, two. Those are all those. There's yeah. no 1.5. Right. Well, you know what I mean? with this guy, it's like, you got a five star right. rating. He gives it a 2.5 stars. So he gives it a half. Exactly. He's right in the middle. And he goes, I, like doing, goes, I don't know. I like doing, I don't really like it. I like doing 3.5 because it's like, all right, you have average and you have above average. If anything under you have three good, is you have where, great. Yeah. Right. Th- under three is where you start to get into the questionable yeah, territory. Yeah. So like, and cause a, a, a friend of mine and podcast guest, Alex, was talking about in one of the episodes like oh i like doing you know a t- out of 10 rating i'm like the only reason i do that because it's like we don't need to know if it was one or two or two or three like that to me is the same yeah, that's a bad right, that's right, bad right, right. Exactly. you know but Ten once you get too much for me once you get over fi- 500 that that's yeah. when you can start talking about yeah whatever so that's kind of where <laughs> like this next reviewer goes yeah uh your sophie morris raves uh it's kind of campy I don't know if that's the right term for it. Anyways, it was cute, but not the greatest movie I've ever seen. (laughs) I love when people put something like that in a review. Yeah, (laughs) great. It's all over the place. (laughs) It's not the greatest movie I've ever seen. Okay. It's also, it's not campy at all. (laughs) Well, all right. If you're going to... I think if you're gonna criticize, this person might have just learned what the word campy is and just wanted to put it <laughs> yeah. in, in a review. It's very campy, but that's probably something that's positive. I would say about it. I don't think it's very campy. I think it's no. I think it's super. You campy. think it is? Oh, I don't yeah. think it is. Like the, all the all the weird costumes. The dude, Lydia herself is so campy that just her alone makes the film camp. Like her ridiculous goth outfits are so camp. Her mom, like Catherine O'Hara's character, is definitely if camp. If Tim Otho, Burton didn't direct Otho's it, camp. If Tim Burton didn't make this movie, it would be more campy than it is. Mm, maybe, maybe you're just thinking of you're not thinking of goth as being campy. 
I'm not. Or something. But it can be. It's goth camp. <laughs> okay, it's goth camp. Okay, Welcome okay. to goth camp. Yeah. Oh, man. That might have to be the episode right. title. Oh, man. Yes. Spinning head at goth, goth yeah, camp. Spinning, my head is spinning right. at goth camp. But I, I just love when, when people are like, they don't give any any like concrete reasons. Like, like we're, I'm, like I'm not going to be like, oh, Beetlejuice sucked. That movie was stupid. It's not the greatest movie I've ever seen. Stupid. Like, no, no. Like, here's the reasons why I liked or didn't like the film. You yeah. know, here's actual reasons. Yeah. Anyway, it does have an 84% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and is 82% audience score. So, critics in the audience feel about the same about it. Um, this movie was released March 30th, 1988. Uh, it was released alone that day in the United States. Some other movies from around this time were Police Academy 5, Assignment at Miami Beach, which is like, we already talked about Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. Yeah. And oh man, there's another one after this too. At least one more, if not more than that. We also have Biloxi Blues, Stand and Deliver, which is my favorite movie about math. And uh, probably my favorite Miyazaki movie, if other than my... um, Porco Rosso, my neighbor Totoro. Oh wow, no mm-hmm. kidding, really? Yep. Holy shit, that's actually awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, in the United States, the boy Michael Jackson. Uh, he's questionable. <laughs> he's <laughs> problematic. I love, I, love the, I love the man, but he's questionable. Uh, man Pause. <laughs> Didn't know how to approach that. Uh, like, man I like, in the mirror. I like the old Michael Jackson, yeah, yeah. not the new Michael Jackson. Yeah, I'm out on the new Michael Jackson. <laughs> computer, computer, come in. Yes, they say here we are. Computer. Michael Jackson died in Vietnam. Uh, man in the mirror was the number one song in the United States, which is a fucking awesome song. And I'm going to talk in the UK. I'm going to play a little blip of it right now because I haven't heard it. And based on the name, it sounds Drop hilarious. The, the song is called Drop the Boy by Bros. Bros. <laughs> and it is this the might be song the, in the greatest UK. title I've ever. In- oh, Whoa. hey, we commercial. Add, yeah. This might be the greatest combination of title and band I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's what I expected. And it's. Two like bleach blonde. Uh, I'm assuming bros. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I wonder if they're actually brothers. Bro. Hey, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. kind of like it just goes like cut time, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he it's wants jo- to be George. Michael. Yeah, I was say so it's very bad. George Michael. Yeah, I mean, if you were looking at this guy, mm. he wants to be George Michael extremely yeah. badly. <laughs> Bro. So that was, bro. That was the top time. And it makes sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> bro. Bro. Yeah, I mean, what I would they? do a bunch of cocaine. I gotta know. Listen to bros. I gotta know. I gotta know. Let's Are they see. bros? Let's Are they actually Are they bros? bros? This is important. I'm telling you, you look at them, they look like bros. Oh, they're bros. Yeah, they're <laughs> twins. <laughs> they're twins? They gotta be twins. Dude, oh, shut up. Bro. If they're twins, that makes us so much fun. Yeah, Matt and Luke Goss. Oh, my God. They look horrifying. Bro. Oh, yeah, this is the guy who was in Blade 2. Shut 
up. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So one of the guys from <laughs> Bros is in Blade 2. Yes. Oh, no. What's his? He plays. The, wow. The things you are discover. They both, are they maybe both in Blade 2? Do they just take turns being in scenes? Because, are, are because they're they, twins. What are the these? Fuck? I wish they, they were the same guys from The Matrix, but they're not. No. Oh, looks like just Luke is an actor. Okay. But he played okay. Jared Nomak. He plays one of wow. the like heavies in Blade Two. One of the guy I think he's one of the vampires in, in Ron Perlman's group that teams up with Blade there. Okay. But shout out to our last episode of the Dork Web where we covered Blade Trinity. Yeah, go but listen to that if you haven't <laughs> yet. It's a good episode. Anyway, in video, video games, games, baby, video yeah, games. It's big time video Huge. game season. Uh, 1988 saw the release of some new titles, including Super Contra, Super Mario Bros. 2, Assault, Altered Beast, Mega Man 2, which is my favorite Mega Man game, Double Dragon 2, The Revenge, and Super Mario Bros. 3. Hell yeah. Around the same time this movie came out in March, uh, RC Pro-Am is released, becoming a hit for the NES, drawing attention to the UK developer Rare. Thank you, Rare. Yeah. And in June, Nintendo released the last issue of Nintendo Fan Club News. So in July, they could release the first issue of Nintendo Power. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. I was a subscriber for me, a long time. Me too. Also in video games, Beetlejuice, uh, as being a very popular and important movie, spawned a series of video games as well as a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, the games in the series were The Adventures of Beetlejuice, Skeletons in the Closet for MS-DOS in 1990, uh, a Beetlejuice game developed by Rare and released for NES in 1991, Beetlejuice Horrific Hijinks from the Netherworld, uh, also created by Rare and published by LJN, fuck LJN, for the Nintendo Game Boy. And that game was based sp specifically on the animated series that I mentioned. Um, we had toys. Too. Oh, yeah. So I, like, I wanted to just mention this because this is like... I was two years old at this right, point. So this is striking you. Yeah, this is the era where like toys were big time yeah, great. important things to have. Yeah. You know, so you had like 10... We got a little top 10 right here uh, consisting of the NES. Yep. Did you have that? I did not. Did you have, <laughs> what about a Barbie? I did not, but my sister had Barbie. Okay, yes. so what about uh, Micro Machines? I had some Micro Machines. The Micro Machine Man here, aircraft carrier there. You can't have that, but you can have this. The new Micro Machine aircraft carrier place that. Pictionary. Uh, no, but I mean like everybody. Pictionary yeah, was like readily yeah. accessible. Yeah. Uh, real Ghostbusters action figures. Uh, 30 Mighty Men. I don't know if I had those ones, but I had, um, I think it was Vankman or Egon. Like, I had one of the... I think yeah, it was Egon. He's he was the one. It was blonde and glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had yep. his figure, and yeah, I think with like the flat top cut. Yeah, right. And I, and I yep. think maybe one of the ghosts too, or something. Okay, uh, GI Joes. Oh hell yeah, mad GI Joes, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, win, lose, or draw. Nope. Don't think I know nope. what that. I think is. it was a board game type thing. Yeah, it definitely is. And then obviously, oh Hot shit, wheels. Hot Wheels leading the way. Oh, <laughs> hell yes. Yeah. The power charger will blast you high. Volcano blowout. 
blasting cars that glow in the dark. Volcano blowout. Cars racing through, coming down fast. Can you make it through before the blast? <laughs> Volcano blast. It's a mid-air crash. Volcano blowout. Volcano blowout set comes with two glow-in-the-dark cars. Batteries not included. Adult assembly required. Wow, I fucking love Hot Wheels. <laughs> yeah, I, oh my I, god, I, I feel like love I think Wheels. my doctor, yeah. as a child, had a big case of a bunch of dope Hot Wheels like framed. <laughs> In the office. That's Every awesome. time I go there, I'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, is that the Ego truck? S like, oh smash that thing open. Let's play. Yeah. <laughs> There's also yeah. Doctor, give me the keys. Right? <laughs> There's also an awesome line of, I think Mattel actually did them too, of um, Beetlejuice toys that were, I think, also based kind of on the animated series, but also the movies. But they had lot. They had like a, a a Beetlejuice figure. Yeah, they had they had a bunch of them. They had an oh actually no you know, it was based on the movie because I remember they had the uh, they had like the Gina Davis and um and uh, what's oh, his face as the, ghosts. Were, yeah, 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 yeah. When they like had like the alligator mouths. But then they also had like a bunch of other ghosts who were not from the movie. I feel who like were, I had like, one of like one of the, dudes with the thin heads. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. So, oh, and also, one last thing in video games. Uh, 1988 is the year that one of my favorite video games, Yakuza 0, takes place. So, Kazuma Kiryu was kicking asses playing Sega arcade games and going to phone sex hotline shops and made <laughs> cafes in Camp Churro in 19, 1888. 1888, whoa. 1888, no, 1888 whoa. was Jack the Ripper. Uh, also, the WWF pay-per-view was WrestleMania 4, the forgotten WrestleMania, which is best known for Andre versus Hogan 2, and Randy Savage wrestling four matches before finally winning the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. So, yeah. That was, uh, that was good Beetlejuice. This was a group's it pick is a movie. this yes. week. Uh, um, I feel like a lot of people in our relative age group have a sort of nostalgic connection yeah. to it. Or at the very least have seen it, yes. Yeah, um, well, exactly. I feel like everyone, most most people have seen it. Yeah, it's pretty well known, and it's also a film that I think gets a lot of, or at least has historically gotten a lot of TV time, especially around, like, you know, Halloween and stuff. Totally. Um. But it's not since it's not a Halloween movie. It's also can get play any time of the year, um, and yeah, for the most part, it's probably best known as uh, the film that broke Winona Ryder to the greater world. It's and I mean, she actually credits it as like she like looks back at it as like the thing that started her career. Really, yeah. you know, like, this is after Heather's, right? This is. Before Heather, Heather's. It's before yeah, Heather's. Heather's oh, okay. was 1990, I believe. Okay. I know, I know it was before, but I can't. I can right, remember. Right, right. It was okay. shortly, very shortly before. Okay. But yeah, I mean, this this was the film that broke her. She was, you know, a relatively unknown actress at the time, and like, so this this really pushed her star, and also I think, uh, real it, it it started. Tim Burton 
off into a totally new direction. You know oh, what I mean? Totally. I mean, with all the star power in the film, it's definitely going to launch. In the success and the fact that he proved, it was like we were just saying before, he proved with Pee Wee's Big Adventure that he was a, a big name bankable director. And then he goes out and he, he makes a film like this that does really, really well, is also his type of film. You know, he basically got super, super lucky. And the only reason we have all the other shit he made after that is because Beetlejuice was a success. So he was allowed to be as weird and gothy and right. do that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, like the you rest know? of his uh, filmography probably yeah. wouldn't. Well, I feel like a lot of it you can trace directly back to the style of Beetlejuice. You know, the the way that the like snakes in the desert look is very yeah. similar to some characters and, and designs in Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, like he definitely from that point on was like, this is my style and I'm going to keep, uh, you know, expanding on and building on that until I eventually become a loser <laughs> because that's <laughs> my personal opinion of his films recently yeah. until, until I totally, my ego blows up and I, I can't make good films anymore. Coraline, uh, possibly, I don't know. If he did do Coraline, Coraline was very good. Yeah. It's a very good movie. I don't think so because I never thought of Coraline as a Tim Burton movie, but I mean, that's very possible. Let's, let's do a quick check on the old internet here. Computer, computer, come in. Yes. Computer. What the fuck? Where's the fucking director? It must not be him because it doesn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, No, Harry, Harry Selleck. Okay. Um, so want to be Tim Burton. But, I mean, I would definitely say that that's a movie that, you know, could that be drawn back. Exist. Yeah, that probably yeah. wouldn't exist if Tim Burton didn't it wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> You know, and I mean, I think, like, I, I have my own feelings about Burton's work. I'm not a fan of his style. I've never been a particular yeah. big fan of But that doesn't mean style. I don't like his movies. Yeah. I just think his, right, no, like, I like, I like some of them and I hate others. You know, it's just like I think I I think Nightmare Before Christmas is a fantastic film and it's groundbreaking all that shit. But I hate the style of it. I I don't like watching it. (laughs) He was never like a household name for me, right? As far as like my interests, right? My style is like like, I I absolutely loathe like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I didn't like the the fucking Barber Killer Barber musical. I didn't like Edward that either. Hands? No, 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 no. I like Edward Scissorhands. I'm talking the the, the barber fucking barber Fleet Street. No, the demon barber Fleet Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. Of, I, I like Sweeney wow, Todd. I really, I, I wasn't a fan. Of, at that one. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't get <laughs> Me to too. Sweeney Todd. I literally listened I, uh, to every other fucking barber movie. And like, I like Sweeney or Todd. Scissor movie, I guess. Scissor I movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like sharp sw- object emo <laughs> movies. I like Sweeney Todd. It's not a like, personality, you no. emo fuckers. <laughs> Warning about a teen phenomenon that involves. It's, it's, it sounds weird. Self. It's, it's mutilation and suicide. And in a state where the teen suicide rate is already at an all-time high, we think this is a very important report that every parent should see. It's not a race. Emo's not a race. I'm happy my chemical romance is um, back together, but fucking <laughs> take it easy, all right? Oh, my God. Oh, God. I just, just kidding. I'm happy. I hope yeah. they tour around you. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. I, 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 have, I didn't really ever listen to them, so they're, they're, they're fine. Good enough. They're fine. I like, that, I like that one song where in the video the girl was like at a funeral. 
and Jer- like Jared was given the <laughs> no, no, no. The no, girl no, is no, the kidding, funeral, kidding, and kidding. Jared weighs the preacher. He's like, or maybe he's given the eulogy, and then like he's like, tonight, if I wanted it this way. And then she like gets out of the coffin, and they all dance. But like I c- again, the style of that like goth fucking that goth like uh, we're victorian style is the dumbest fucking shit i'm sorry so like their music's fantastic but like uh that i hate that fucking style of shit i could never i'm not wearing a fucking corset and a top hat what is this this is 1888 jack the <laughs> ripper over here with his fucking corset on I mean, no. you can have like artistic input on your outfit you can let this guy wear a goddamn top yeah <laughs> but i'm just saying personally i think it's dumb you know i think it's not a phase kevin it's, it's not a phase <laughs> um anyway <laughs> beetlejuice but like yeah like i'm not gonna dress like lydia in this movie in her like death gowns that she wears but yeah, i love go- but I, I like like the goth yeah i mean i'm glad that they threw that shit. in for her costume design because it did kind yeah. of ground you back down to like what tim burton's interests are one of the well, one of the things i think he does in his films that is interesting is he loves to like make everything really really big and blown up you know, like the way that they redecorate the house, uh, Lydia's crazy costumes. Oh everything. my god! It's yeah, so the whole, over like, the stone top. Stone redo of the house. It's yeah, like, yeah. What the fuck? And it, but it's it's big and like he got even crazier with it as time went on. Where he loved like everything had to be like shapes that weren't actually found in nature. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he loved doing like trees that were curled in a certain way that like never look like that in right. nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or or a path that it gets wider and wider and wider and wider and what like it d- things are drawn like an oblong using oblong shapes and weird sort of like angles and shit like that and and very cartoony like he yeah, wanted to make I looney tunes like or something the model as a basis of plot yeah and that was a good Ima- like imagine for him to tim, do that tim burton directing space jam oh my god that would be awesome <laughs> like but that's imagine the basketball that's sort of, court <laughs> it would be all weird looking crazy <laughs> one team They're would be yeah oh man the like but the alien guys would have been like more goth like you know, it would have been like the groo- <laughs> the, like the groovy goth kids ghoulies from like South Park. Yeah, like, like the, the g- groovy ghoulies, <laughs> you know. Um, so I have a fair amount of problems with this film, and uh, none of them have to do with Winona Ryder or her family or Beetlejuice or the other tertiary side, second and third side characters in the film. It's mainly just our I guess main characters. Uh I can't fucking stand them. I never liked them from the first time <laughs> I saw this movie. I was like, get out of this movie. I don't care about you two ghosts. Even though they're like integral to the part or, or to the plot, I just don't care about them and don't want to wa- anytime it cuts to just them and it's a plot where it's just Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, I'm like, boo. Yeah, Unless- well, everything that they're saying is pretty much just like they're verbalizing what you can already tell true true. every time it'll cut to them and they're like the family can't they don't know that we're here they can't see us i do i I, just watched that i do have to give a shout out to sylvia sydney who played like their 
their liaison in the underworld. The, oh yeah, she's smoking. Like their agent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a she's a fantastic actress. Yeah, um, she's awesome. And I think she even was she was even nominated for like an maybe it was an Academy Award, but she was nominated for something. Like this this was actually her last film, I believe, before oh, really? her death. Yeah. Oh. Um. I mean, at the end of the day, I like I get that their characters are kind of useless, but. I do like Alec Baldwin, and I do think he's like the perfect kind of like. Why? Goober what does he do? I just like the fact that he's a fucking like goober guy what is, for this what role. Does, what does Gina Davis do Their other than be like I? Uh, Gina Davis is just like I have the the need to mother this girl. Their who's characters are just springboards for the other family coming in right. and Beetlejuice. Well, let's let's analyze let's analyze this. So everybody's seen this movie, right? Out there in TV, you all seen this movie. Yeah. You know what happens. Fuck you know, know what's happening here. people die. They they end up haunting their own house. New family moves in. They hire a ghost bioexorcist to get rid of them, and he's wacky. And then eventually they become friends. But like the turn of this movie is what's so weird to me. So like Catherine O'Hara who plays the mom, and uh, Jeffrey whatever, who plays the dad, they're presented as, like, first of all, she's a stepmother, and they're presented as being, like, rich, kind of ineffectual 1980s parents. The dad's, like, off in his own world. He loves his daughter, and they they obviously have a close relationship, but he, like, is completely oblivious to anything that's going on. He's like, oh, yeah, you like your your dark dresses, your black dresses, whatever. Hey, pumpkin, I love you. You know, he's... And the, then the stepmom is like, thinks she's an artist and she's like from the city and she wants to like, she has all these plans and weird friends and, and she doesn't get along with the daughter and stuff. So then the whole movie like ends with they all become friends and the ghosts basically take over parenting duties. They become like, like the butlers. Yeah, like the whole line where they're like, "Oh, she must have did well on that." Yeah, like that. Yeah, it's like I get. Like, I guess that works because then it shows that like they're all together as a family, and it, it does show the dad reading a book that's like how to live with ghosts, basically. You know, so it shows. Right, but yeah. it's weird that it's like the culmination is that like she comes home and hangs out with the ghosts while her parents just do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. So basically it's like, yeah, it's what every eighties kid wants their parents to leave them alone. But it just, it's just like a weird sort of message, I guess from the movie. Like it's a very 1980s sort of ending. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if there's like a message. I don't know. Like I think the message off, is like, just have fun and listen to yeah, Harry Belafonte. Yeah, have and fun and listen to Jump dance. in the Line. Yeah, it, which Jump is also like like I don't know. I, I, most of my problems with this film lie with the fact that I couldn't care less about Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's characters, and I just I don't know why. It's just there's not enough done to make me actually give a shit about them. I guess, but also the fact that. The, the the movie is like way more childishly goofy than I remembered it. Yet at the same time, like a Beetlejuice just comes in and he starts being like, "Fuck shit, grab my crotch, I'm gonna have sex yeah, with this underage like girl." Club, like, yeah, like, oh, I go into this. And she's like, "Why'd you build that in the model?" It's a brothel. <laughs> it's referred to in the movie as a brothel. 
by someone. I can't remember exactly, but like somebody like makes a joke about how like so he yeah he's gonna go get laid in there. It's not just like a strip club. It's like <laughs> a body house. But yeah, so th- there's this weird interjection. Uh, and I mean, when he he comes into the movie like a rocket and really saves it, like without Michael Keaton's particular performance in it, and it being even if you hate it. It, it's it's hard to to look away from it's so like love it or hate it you're gonna you're gonna be drawn in by what he's doing because he's so all over the place and but the rest of the movie around him is so pedestrian it's so mundane it's like tim burton was almost at where he wanted to be as a director but i think this film actually in retrospect really falls short of of like what i remember or my expectation in going back and watching it after not seeing it in years and years and years, I was right. like kind of disappointed. It's it's not as good as I remembered it. Yeah, I'm just gonna go right out there and say I it. Say you know, that, yeah, it's not bad. It's just uh, it's my memory. The good me- moments of it are too reliant on on special effects, but then that's so such a small part of the movie that like. I'm I'm bored most of the time. It's one of those movies like like I think Home Alone's another one where you can just tune in and out of it because Oh, totally. It, it, like you can very passively watch. Yeah. yeah. Like so, so maybe that's positive, but at the same time that makes it hard for me to actually pay attention because it's so the movie is so passive right. in its yeah. attempt to grab you. It's also like very just like Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it in I don't know. I just feel like his work. There's better examples of his work, and and I don't know. I was just disappointed watching it this time. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I didn't like it as much as I as I remembered. I liked it. I guess. Right. Where do you have it at? I'm gonna go three point five. Yeah, I was in the yeah. same spot. Yeah, it's it's like if if I'm gonna give the character Beetlejuice a rating, I give him a five. Oh yeah. You know, if totally. I give Winona Ryder an actress a rating, I give her a five. Even in this movie. <laughs> this I movie feel like at the time there could have been a different movie written with those characters. <laughs> that could have been a fucking epic movie. I like this alternate ending that I came up with that I always <laughs> I always forget is not the actual ending of Beetlejuice. What if Winona Ryder killed herself to become a ghost? At the end. Well, isn't that her plan anyways? That is her plan, but then it doesn't happen. What if it happened? (laughs) Because (laughs) that'd be a lot better than her just dancing to Banana Boat in the air. It's just, I don't know. It's just the whole ending, you're just like, kind of like, yeah. Yeah, there's a sequel attempt coming, isn't there? And then it actually never happened, which is weird enough. But it definitely was like, we got to keep it open for a sequel. Well, that kinda we, like, like, that we can't makes take me any like risks here. That there isn't a sequel to it because it ends with just that sort of like upward plateau. Yeah, and Beetlejuice, but Beetlejuice is still around. Yeah. So it's I don't know. It, it's yeah. weird. I it's, it's one of those ones movie. I was surprised because I was like, oh yeah, there is no Beetleju- Beetlejuice two. That's weird. It's one of those movies you would expect would have sequels. Yeah, especially with the time it came out in yep. the cast. Like yep. They were and definitely the, capable the, of doing another the, one. The, out, you know, the outside stuff we mentioned, video games, toys, and, and the, the TV show. Also, uh, I think that 
it was, if I remember correctly, it was being developed or they wanted to do a sequel, but then they got w- where it was, uh, and there, there is a script. It's Beetlejuice 2, uh, Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian or something like that. Yeah, and it was supposed to be a beach. Oh, okay, you got it right here. It's a beach movie. Uh, yeah, oh, that's right. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Um, he thought it would be funny to match Shut surfing up. backdrop of a beach movie with some sort of German expressionism. Uh, because they're totally wrong together. Um, bu- 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 so the Dietz family moves to Hawaii for some reason, where Charles is devel- Oh, where Charles is developing a re- resort. They soon discover that his company is building on the burial ground of an ancient Hawaiian kahuna. Uh, Spirit comes back from the afterlife to cause trouble, and Beetlejuice becomes a hero by winning a surf contest with magic. Both of them. Keaton and Ryder agreed to do the film, but then Michael Keaton and Tim Burton got preoccupied with Batman, and then they got preoccupied with Batman Returns, and however, however, recently, in the past few years, there was talk of bringing it back. What? Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian? No, of a Beetlejuice, a totally new Beetlejuice 2, where it's a, you know, Blade Runner 2049 style it's a 27 you know at that time they were saying oh it'd be a 27 year in between sequel and so now you see so she would uh winona would play lydia again but at her current age oh cool and yeah i mean you could do it with keaton because really that character's never going to age since it has makeup and everything right and And he's already already yeah he's already (laughs) he already looks as old as he's gonna look you know Um, yeah exactly yeah uh so, yo, yeah, I guess as of this year in April, they said the sequel's been shelved. Fuck. So, so what a bunch of assholes. Yeah. No, well, whatever. No she's making her fucking money. No off Beetlejuice things right yeah, now. So exactly. She's all set on that. So yeah, Beetlejuice. Mm, it's okay. Yeah, it gets a it gets it's a okay. certified meh. Yeah, it's certified meh. As a film. As a as a franchise and a character, I love the, I love the movie, yeah. but objectively, I give it up. Nah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, we're gonna take a break, and then we will come back for our third and final movie tonight. Los otros. Yes, the others. Sometimes the world of the dead gets mixed up with the world of the living. As you can see, the housework has been rather neglected since the servants disappeared almost a week ago. Do you mean they just vanished? Into thin air. How do you do, children? I'm your new nanny. Are you going to leave us too? Why should I leave you? The others said they wouldn't, but they did, and then it happened. Why do you open the curtains? It was Victor. You told your brother that there was someone else in the room. There was. That'll do, Anne. I've seen them, too. Have? Sooner or later, she'll see them. Then everything will be different.
So, right. our third film tonight. I thought is... you said Arthur at first. It was like Arthur. So, Arthur is a film about a, a lovable drunk. <laughs> well, not so lovable, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so, in our last movie tonight that we're going to be talking about, our last ghost film is The Others. Uh, it is a 2001 English language uh, Spanish gothic supernatural psychological horror film. Yeah. Uh, it really rolls off the tongue <laughs> what it is. Um, it was written, directed, and scored by Alejandro uh, Amanabar. Amiabar. Amiabar. I don't know how to say it either. Yeah. All right. Um, well, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it stars... Um, Nicole Kidman. She, she's a sweetheart in it. Just kidding. She's a fucking prick. <laughs> uh, so it starts Nicole Kidman and uh, Fionula. 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 Flanagan. Flanagan. One of my favorite actresses. I don't know if you ever I don't se- think you ever seen Waking Ned Divine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's she's in Holy that shit. too. Yep. She plays the, the maid, the Irish maid in this movie. But she also played, I think she played, she was one of the... Guys in Waking Dead Divine's wives, who was like in on the whole joke, and I now it makes me want to watch that movie Damn, again. I haven't so seen that good. movie in a grip. So good! Wow, yeah. that was a great movie. Um, the film won seven uh, Goya awards, including awards for best film and best director. Uh, this is the first English language film ever to receive the best film award at the Goyas. Uh, it's that if you don't know what that is, that's fans, uh, Oscars. Oscars. Yeah. yeah it's like their, their big prestigious film event, uh, without a single word of Spanish spoken in it. So that's why, uh, like before the break, I referred, uh, referred to it as Los Otros. As the name. That's, yeah. That's literally the name I of the film. No uh, fucking it, idea about that. Yeah. I was it like, is Whoa. literally a Spanish film, yep. but there is no Spanish. So film. I never saw this film when it came out, but I do remember the trailers for it. And yeah, I had no fucking clue. I was like, "Wow, I would not have guessed that." I no, thought this was all, a, yeah. a British film or something. Yeah, yeah. And especially. Uh, so, like I said, it's I uh, got Nicole Kidman, but um, he takes the. Right. All right. We also had, as we said, we had Miss Flanagan. We also have uh, Christopher Exelson, who played the ninth or tenth Doctor on uh, Doctor Who. He's my favorite season of Doctor Who and my favorite Doctor Who. But anyway, um, and uh, a bunch of other English actors. But who cares about them? Yeah, come on. <laughs> take it easy. I'm going to read a we bunch of names. Because there's, you know, when you watch the movie, there's yeah. not really well, a lot of important characters. I'll, I'll mention we have Alkina Mann, who plays Anne, the little girl, and James Bentley as Nicholas, the little boy. Right. And, uh we also have, you know, to, to round out the cast, you have Mr. Tuttle, played by Eric Sykes, who's the gardener, and uh, Elaine Cassidy, who plays Lydia, the the mute girl, mm-hmm. and some other characters. But really, those are those are our main, the main cast. Yeah, you basically have four main right. characters, so including kids, uh, or excellent kids. So uh, for the taglines, we have a whole bunch. Um, sooner or later, she'll see them. Then everything will be different. <laughs> it's actually pretty pretty yeah, good that's for the definitely very yeah. accurate. That's one that when you come out of the movie, you'd go, oh, like, oh it was oh, different. Yeah, it was very different. Sometimes the world of the living gets mixed up with the world of the dead. That happens. Mm-hmm. 
sooner or later they will find you. Overly serious. Yeah. <laughs> no door is to be opened before the previous one is closed. I mean, that's, yeah. That's, and that's also the whole that's thing. That's like a concept. Yeah, in the movie she... Which gets highly disregarded throughout the movie at certain points. Oh, and yeah. And it, like, that drives me nuts. Yeah, but. it definitely... Well, it, it points it, it does because... It's supposed to, and at other exactly, points they yep. just forgot. Right, like at exactly. Where, where it was like Nicole Kidman being all like, like on top of shit, but then she like totally leaves the door open, and you're like, dude, they they didn't yeah. notice that. It's yeah. like you just scolded out but, the new help for leaving yeah. the door open, and then you just ran through like six doors without right. shutting any of them. It's interesting. Hmm. Mm. I, but sometimes it makes me wonder if like th- what's on purpose and what was like yeah. a mistake or exactly. forgotten. Yeah, there or is whatever. some depth. There's some right. depth. How do you keep them out when they've already invited themselves in? That's like a line for like a like a sitcom or something. Right? Do you believe in ghosts? She didn't. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> uh, close every door, turn off every light, and look for the others. And finally, für ordered später finden sie dich. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Auf Deutsch, uh, which in German means sooner. Auf Deutsch? Or, yeah, that's German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sooner or later, they'll find you. Wow, that was a good sneak attack right there. I hope, I hope that I said that right, and that my German teacher from eighth grade is proud. <laughs> yeah, seriously. My, yeah, my German teacher, hair guy. If you're listening, unlikely, but. <laughs> yeah right yeah very unlikely yeah. either of our german teachers v- any v-gates? of them v-gates <laughs> uh, uh so yeah yeah a budget for this one was uh alarmingly low for what it is it is yeah. a 17 yeah million, for 2001 17 million dollar budget um and it raked in the box office. it was raking in money uh 209.9 million dollars yeah the box office the critics say, Matthew Turner from View London said, if you were scared of the dark as a child, this movie has your name on it. Steve Newton added, this movie crawls. <laughs> James McEwen quips, 85 minutes of it are mostly just dull and atmospheric. And user, deleted user, raves, there are times when I wish you could selectively wipe away memories. Wow, unhappy with yeah. the fucking watching of this movie. Ouch. Yeah, Jesus. But uh, 83% fresh, 77% audience score. Exactly. So that guy can fucking pound sand, I suppose. <laughs> pound sand. Yeah, like, come on, you wish you could selectively wipe away yeah. memories. It's a little extreme. <laughs> Yeah, the rest of the review was pretty harsh too. Oh, I imagine. I can't. I mean, when you springboard like that, you're definitely but not going to get any bitter. He or she has deleted their profile or at, or was kicked off the site. Yeah, apparently. it's because I cyberbullied them based <laughs> on their review of the others. <laughs> so this movie was released August 10th of 2001. I was getting ready to. Uh, oh shit. Oh shit, we were all getting ready to fucking not realize September 11th was about to happen. <laughs> Holy fuck. Holy fuck, that just dawned on me. I was yeah, getting so that ready. That was like pre Yeah. pre a massive shift in media. Yeah, I was getting ready to start my freshman year of high school and then that shit went down. Wow. There was a massive massive shift in media a right. month later mm-hmm. where it, nothing would be the same. No. 
August tenth, the same day as American Pie two, Osmosis Jones. Osmosis Jones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I fucking love that movie. All over the guy and local movie, uh, actually about a place right down the road from here in Danvers, Massachusetts. Is it the hospital? Se- uh, Session nine. Yeah, which is a film starring the guy from NYPD Blue and fucking some other show. Uh, the redheaded guy from N- NYPD Blue. Yep. And it's about the Danvers State Hospital. Oh, fuck so, yeah. Yeah. Also around that time, we had Rush Hour 2, The Princess Diaries, The Curse of the Jade Scorpion, Jeepers Creepers, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Jay and Silent Bob Strike yeah. Back. I can't not, believe there's a new one coming out. Not too. a fuck. good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate that fucking movie, and I like I, I like Kevin Smith, but I definitely do not like that movie. Anyway. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> uh, to backtrack, we're happy that Kevin Smith's all right. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, yeah, it's nothing like, against Kevin Smith. Like, as I'm not like I didn't good. like James. I didn't done. I didn't just say no, I didn't I like James Tyler <laughs> Bob Strike Back. So I hope Kevin Fuck Smith Kevin dies. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I'm just saying, I, I that's a terrible movie. Yeah, and I mean, I just think the Jay and Silent Bob franchise is played out. I think it's kind of. Well, yeah. I'd rather watch Clerks. But but I mean that that is the Jay and Silent Bob franchise at this point. It's Clerks. I know. Jay and Silent Bob struck back in Clerks too. So I'd rather watch like Clerks and like Mall Rats. Yeah, or like Dogma or Dogmas. Yeah, Dogmas. Uh, even Chasing Amy, like any of those. Yep. Are better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, in music uh, in the United States, uh, it was Loverboy yeah. by Mariah Carey. She can't even wait a couple days after Halloween before she's already here on the podcast. Dude, I read this and I was like, oh, God. I can't wait. So if you follow like when new music comes out on Fridays, Halloween was on a Thursday this mm. year. And so all the new releases get dropped on Friday morning. Or midnight of the previous night. So midnight right. was November first, and what the fuck do you think was one of the new releases? Was fucking Mariah Carey's "All I Want, uh, for, All Christmas. I Want for Christmas Is You," but like the album, like redone. It's a reissue. Yeah, literally yeah. just like a deluxe. Like version. like Mariah Carey did not get back in the studio. No, no. she just they just took the tracks and someone went. And clicked on a computer, they went, All right, it's remastered. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then they sell it to you and you buy it. What the fuck is wrong yeah, with us? It's a fucking disaster. Yeah. In the UK, oh, our yeah. number one song by Firewire. Firewire. No, that's the name of the song. Well, the name of the song is Firewire. Firewire. Yeah. What in the world? All right, so hold on. So in the UK, the number one song was. Firewire Fire, by Fire. Cosmic, oh, Cosmic Cosmic Gate. Gate. Oh, what? Yes. Yeah, you must I defeat the gelatinous cube Fire. to get to the Cosmic Gate. I will not listen to the song by a group called Cosmic Gate. I will. <laughs> I will too. I don't know. Like it that sounds. Song you were showing me from that crazy <laughs> fucking page last time we hung out. Oh yeah, yeah. What's the the uh? What was the guy's uh, name? The song oh, the Energy Master. Energy Master. <laughs> this song, I 
wrote more toward the energy master because, again, this is another time in my life when I wanted things to move on a little faster. You know, things were going too slow. And so this song is about my cry to the energy master. Energy master. Oh, Thank you, man. Energy Master. Yeah, Energy um, Master. Yeah, the Energy <laughs> Video games were huge, too. You got to crush this. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we had Animal Crossing, Burnout, Devil May Cry, Oni, Halo, Combat Evolved, Jack and Daxter, uh, The Precursor Legacy, Max Payne, Operation Flashpoint, Cold War, Crisis, Pikmin, Red Faction, Serious Sam, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, and Tropico like, all what? came out that year. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Also, in August, when this film came out, <laughs> the second annual Dreamcasts Championships featuring Crazy Taxi 2 video game happened on the Sega Dreamcast. And also, uh, released around this time, was WWF Betrayal for the Game Boy Color as well as Golden Sun and Shogun Total War. And the WWF pay-per-view was SummerSlam 2001, which is probably only known for The Undertaker totally just beating the shit out of Diamond Dallas Page mm -hmm. uh, at the end of an angle where DDP was stalking Undertaker's wife, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, who is the woman that he had his her name tattooed on his throat, yeah. and then they got divorced. So now he has it's. You can kind of see where it used to be. Yeah, it's idiot. fucked up. Man. Poor, poor old Mean Mark. Yeah, poor old Undertaker. Maybe. <laughs> so. Yeah. So the, the others. This is my pick. Yeah. Um, so we should say right off the bat, I did already mention it. This movie features a twist. Yeah, it's a twist. A twist. Yes. It's a twist. And actually, to I guess, I don't know, maybe... maybe well, let's we're wait on the twist. Into it. Yeah, let's not, wait no, on the not spoilers. Even for the twist. I'm yeah. saying for maybe, uh, for the fact of it being a ghost movie, it's. I feel like it's interesting that the three movies we picked for this one, the main characters are the ghosts. Yeah. Well, that kind of gives it away. Dylan! Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Son of a bitch. So, I guess it does, but... So this movie... Well, no, it doesn't because... Dylan. Everyone's a ghost. <laughs> Everyone's a ghost. Well, <laughs> yeah, true, 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 true. I guess so. Son of a bitch. So this film is about a, a woman who is lives with her two children in a big estate house, and uh, her husband has gone off to fight in World War One, and uh, he has not been heard from since the war has ended. So he is presumably dead. And at the beginning of the film, you're introduced to her, Nicole Kidman's character, essentially, uh, as she's showing these new servants through the house um, and giving them the rundown and everything that happens. So it's one of those films that kind of like jumps you right into action and gives you like uh, the the rules right off the bat, you know, that like... There's something weird going on with the kids. The kids can't. They're photosensitive to light. They're they, allergic yeah, to light. Every yeah. light needs. Every curtain needs to be closed. Exactly. And all the doors in the house need to be shut. 
behind you. You can't open one door without closing the, the next door or whatever, and uh, or, or closing the, the door you came in from. I'm sorry, and it, it, I think that's a really interesting way to do it because of the twist. Because I because of the way the film was set up, I didn't call the twist until it happened. It really disguised it really fucking well. Um, That's awesome to hear because you're usually pretty fucking good yeah, about well, like picking out like in weird the, twists. It was too. in the scene, like I called that she had killed the kids and that they were dead, like right before it was obvious. But yeah, usually I have like an inkling of it. it neither of us, when we were me and Olivia were watching it, we that way we were both kind of like oh shit they're dead like when it became started to become more obvious yeah uh, well yeah once they start writing it they write it it's also an interesting way to like go about making a ghost movie because of that and, and to stop dancing around it we might as well just like spoiler alert uh, if you haven't seen the movie go watch it right now because spoiler alert nicole kidman and her children are dead and they're the ghosts and so are the servants so there's lots of great shout outs to it and also some dumb ones. Um, like when she's like, I found this note in the mailbox. That means that you couldn't possibly have known to come for the job. How did you know to come here? Like there was weird, like like ham, ham fisted sort of ways of doing it. But there are other ones that really thoroughly disguised what was going on and totally diverted your attention to the three servants as being something to be scared of as opposed to being, right. you know, allies of right. them. Yeah, that's kind of why I picked it initially is because I think it's a little off the beaten path of a ghost story where, like I mentioned when we first started talking about it, is that the fucking, everyone's a ghost. Yeah. The whole the whole cast is ghosts pretty right. much. Until right. the last literal five minutes of the movie, every single character right. that you're dealing with is a ghost. And I, th- I think it's a... Sort of similar to Shutter Island in the way that you feel like you when you finish or when you get to that point, you start going back mentally and like thinking about different scenes. One in particular sticks with me is when uh, the someone's playing the piano and Nicole Kidman like goes into the room and then the piano stops because literally the person's playing the piano and all of a sudden the door just fucking opened and they were like, uh. Right, yeah. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the door behind them on the other side of the room opened. They're like, okay. And then in the scene, you see Nicole Kidman, like, keeps opening. And the other person is presumably closing the door, being like, what the fuck? And then Nicole Kidman opens it again. And then it smacks her in the head because they just slammed it closed. Like, like, shut the fuck up. Right. There's so many many scenes like that that are like, holy shit. There's, like, a whole unshot like another scene that's going on that you can't see you know Yeah, that is actually extremely mm-hmm. funny too yeah um i feel like this is another one of those kind of uh suspense movies where it is constantly redirecting your your thoughts on who you think is actually causing right. the problem right where you said they keep like you'll you'll get it deflected to the servants right well, or you might get deflected to the daughter at a couple points when, where uh, like is she being overzealous on it and then you get deflected to Nicole Kidman being right. like an even oversensitive when, um, mother. Even when the the you know father comes back, you think he's another ghost. Like it's disguised in such a way that you don't think they're ghosts because he shows up. Yeah. You think that they're seeing his ghost 
or something like that, you know? It, it just it was very well done in the way it disguised it disguised that, and I think with a movie like this, it's really relying on that. Totally. And without like honestly, I felt up until that point that the movie was like kind of meh. It really that was I was like whoa that like pushed it up a lot for me because it made everything that happened before it make sense, you know. So when you have a good twist like that, like say Shutter Island again. Where it it backs up anytime anytime that during the movie where you're like, okay, or this is confusing or weird. Now you're like, oh, okay, that was clever. Like that that really helped because the rest of the movie had some problems with with stuff like that. Yeah, and, and in in uh in trying to hide those other characters or that other story that's going on, the true story of what's going on they had to take some leaps. They had to make some, do some things that were more like stylistic style over substance stuff to kind of disguise what, what the real story. Yeah. Is. I think some of my biggest problems with that movie are like cinema, like, like they're cinematic problems. Yep. You know, I think like there's some cinematography flaws that like really undermine what story is actually being told yeah. on it. There's a lot of, wipes that feel like tv commercial cuts and yeah um a lot of weird camera focusing sort of trying to overemphasize certain characters yeah um i feel like it takes away from what story is actually being told to you because it is pretty you know it it does deflect your your attention to different characters mm. and i feel <laughs> like you can have a hard time trying to pinpoint who who the antagonist or who right. the protagonist is. Right. But there's very, very forced like T V tropes almost. Definitely. The filming. There's a yeah, there's a fair amount of the movie that of this that feels like a an HBO miniseries yeah. or something. It's like just a step to, and maybe that's just because it's not a Hollywood movie. It's a Spanish, you know. It's yeah, a right. Madridwood yeah, yeah. movie or whatever you want to call it. Yep. It's yep. so there there's differences in style but also in how you know the amount of equipment they have access to or whatever yeah but like i definitely yeah there are parts of it where you're like okay this feels like fucking an american horror story or something it's just but i i again with a movie that that is um you know really hinges on hiding something from the audience it it needs to do that stuff in order to make the story make sense I guess right. later on, and I don't know. I think it hurts in diff in certain places, but it helps in others. Yeah, because again, without without it, you're you're gonna make it too obvious. Because uh, normally, I feel like a movie like this, if you're gonna make this like as a universal m classic monster movie, it would start out with you being introduced to the servants, and then the servants go up to the house. And then you're introduced to Nicole Kidman. And the problem, right, right, right. The problem with that is that now you're immediately suspicious of her because something's weird. The fact that you're introduced to her and the kids as main characters, yeah, and then the servants show up, right. yeah, It kind of deflects the exactly. attention of those characters, and your attention is on them, and you believe, like once again, we talked about this in in our last episode, the unreliable narrator strikes yep. again. Yep. They don't know that they're the unreliable narrator in this case, but 
they're they tell you a, a specific set of things that are going on and and again going back to what i was saying before about how they set that up with like here's the rules this is what you have to do you just buy in immediately and you don't think about any of the weird stuff around that yeah. you know i mean even when they show the servants like burying the tombstones you're not necessarily well that's the, you're the not servants nec- again that yeah. puts your attention on what they're well, doing what not it, why it, they're like doing constantly, it constantly like bouncing back and forth on who's mm-hmm. really the crazy person mm-hmm. and it, you don't get any clear-cut answers and like i said i guess that's more so holding into their able to preserve that like twist right you know Right, and even the shout-outs to uh, the the murder, because she murdered her children and killed herself, that's how they died, um, are, like, subtle, because the kids don't actually... I, th- I feel like it's presented like they don't actually remember exactly what happened, but the daughter especially keeps referencing that day, the day mom, like, freaked yeah. out. Yeah. And, and But it's pre- still presented in such a way that it's like, oh, she, like yelled at them or something like it's until very very close to the reveal it's never thought of as being something violent and the the reveal scene is fantastic when you finally see that the others are human beings who want to buy the house and i guess that means that nicole kidman should have probably called beetlejuice to get him out of there yeah that is what they could have fucking used but but yes so the there because like throughout the film there's an old woman character there's a man and another woman and there's a little boy and those you're you immediately because of the rules you're presented you're like they're the ghosts there's a ghost of a little boy and an old woman and, and all this shit that's a man and a woman and their son who wants to, you know, family who's going to live and wants to buy the house. And the old woman is a uh, spirit medium who is conducting a seance, trying to find the ghosts and drive them out. That reveal even better because it was like, I had already started to be like, okay, Nicole came in, like did something. And then I was like, Oh, maybe they're okay. Whoa, shit. They're dead. They're goat. But the, the fact that it was like, bringing that other thing because i still at one point or another was thinking like the others were just ghosts that they couldn't see they hadn't like accepted that they were dead so they couldn't like fully transition over i i still didn't catch the whole thing that like until it was exactly revealed that like oh shit there's a seance going on they're trying to break through these are the people buying the house that was really clever to totally flip the ghost story on its head. Yeah, trying to get you know, to the bottom of it. You have, yeah, you have about, like, what, 30 seconds to a minute of screen time where you actually see the family and and the boy. Like, you see the seance lady, the spirit medium, yep. the most. And, and, like, I don't know. That's just really clever. It's yeah, really it's, clever. It's a very cool twist yeah. on, like, a very accessible and approachable uh like story medium Mm -hmm. of making a haunted house with a ghost family that lives there or lived there. Definitely. Like there's a lot of simple directions you could take that. And they went the fucking, the beaten path of it and made like a very cool story withheld the twist and established like a lot of cool development of character in it too. It's, it's fun. And, And I liked how it, it went about doing it, you know, um, the way that like it it showed them finding the the like death book 
pictures, the pictures of all the people's like I forget what they call it. It's a real thing from history where it would be like take pictures of yeah, yeah you take yeah, picture yeah. of someone like right as they die and they and they fucking like put them in their clothes and like make up them up and they take a photo of them like just sitting there dead. I don't know. It was a thing people used yeah, to do back then. Whatever. But uh, we're not gonna do that now. That one because like again the 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 you're you you catch on to the fact that the servants are ghosts earlier. And so once that's revealed, once again, you think, oh, okay, well, now I know what's going on. So I think that it, the way that it kind of staggers that by revealing stuff as time goes on to kind of make you think that, that you know what's going on. But then you're like, oh, I didn't, but now I do. Oh, but no, actually, I don't, you know? Yeah, right, right. So, again, just a really yeah, cl- just clever Yeah, just like you film. said, narrator giving you misleading yep. fucking hints. Yep. Um, and, and for a film that really relies on it, I think the kids were pretty good. Yeah, they well, are. You know, they are. They play great siblings yeah, too. Like yeah. they, they had a good a chemistry. Dynamic. Yep. Yeah. The little, the little boy had a great look and, and didn't do, didn't, wasn't like made to do too much. So he worked and the little girl, even though I will say her like emotional scenes were kind of terrible, her all, everything else she did really worked her yeah. and again her chemistry with nicole kidman was also very good is this strained mother-daughter relationship yeah, every scene that they yeah. had where they were like having a like a territory war mm-hmm. i felt like it was she was perfect yeah. at for like yeah. a kid actress to do that like definitely especially when uh it was like after the second time nicole kidman like freaked out on the kids and she like reached for she like reached and touched her daughter's face while her son was hugging her, and she did that like that. yeah she like turned away yeah, yeah yeah it was just I don't know shot really nice it it was it felt like raw and real you know definitely definitely um, so uh, what, I've been out of four you're gonna give it four yeah yeah I, I'm gonna give it a four as well because I think it's more than just average it's it's a good it's a good movie it's, it's a good uh, movie and. Uh, if you haven't seen it and listened to all that, well, you just fucked yourself over yeah, because fuck. the movie's not, I don't think the movie is, would be as interesting knowing all that. Right. I mean, maybe if you are watching it for a second time, but not in the first watch, yeah. it might just, That's a, yeah, it's, yeah. it might just ruin the movie because you, once the, t- the ending happens, I feel like I forgave a lot of the things that I was like, kind of being like eh, about earlier because mm-hmm. in general like the narrative is just kind of sloppy but once you get there you're like oh that's why you know any any sloppiness can be answered immediately by the fact well, they're fucking ghosts and time is different for them and they're not living in reality as we know it yeah. you know and they're even the the other ghosts they're hanging out with are from centuries earlier. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you know. Yeah, so what it t- it takes place in like the forties. No, not the forties. It's post. It's probably nineteen twenty at the latest was because it's it's I yeah. There's a timestamp at the beginning. Well, of they it. say it's right after World War One. Because the the dad fought in World War One, and it's a couple years after the war is over. And he is. They've. They have not heard anything from him. Right. 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 So I forget when the timestamp was. But regardless, the yeah. So the, it's like the fucking postcard from the deceased 20, servants is from like the eighteen eighties. Yeah. So it's 
like they're yeah, so they're from two different centuries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like very separate things. Let me see if I can find out cuz I know I just I know it was you know, directly after World War Oh wow, no. I guess it was World War 2. I thought it was World War 1. Fuck. Okay, so 40, it's 1945. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. For some reason, the whole time I was watching it, I could have sworn like they it. said World War One. I. I don't know why. Maybe they just said the Great War or something, well, yeah, like and they, so well, I immediately no, was like, said, oh, that's yeah, World that War Yeah, that was one of the lines a kid had. They were, like, saying he went to war, and he goes, like, the World War. Like, yeah. Yeah, and it huh. makes, like, a whole big fuss about it. <laughs> but, yeah, who knows? But, yeah, so it's it's definitely it's definitely a fun movie. It's definitely a good movie. Um, there are better ghost movies, but... It's unique in a in, in a way, and maybe that that's what also kind of makes it a a film that's like a one or two time only viewing. You know, it doesn't really have. I feel like it's a film that wouldn't really have much past that. It's not something you could overanalyze or watch a bunch of times because of the way it hinges on on a plot twist like yeah. that. Yeah, I think that that's the problem with movies like that. That's why I like. M Knight's movies I think are all pretty much trash. They're they're all films you can't watch a hundred times. Yeah. They, they I mean, lose their well, enjoyment like, after like, like yeah, once or twice. That's like the thing with any genre like this too, you know, it's you gotta find like the happy medium between making like a a thriller a horror movie or a a ghost movie or supernatural movie. Like those are fun with the big plot reveal right. and the twist. Like movies like Ish Say Ish Say, like we watched last time. It's like when you don't know what's happening and you're watching it initially, it's very fun to see that pivotal point. But upon rewatch, there you can only get so much out of it once you already know right. what's happening. And I would actually say that that, that film, Ish Say Ish Say, is probably one of those rare examples of the opposite where like even though it, it's under those constraints, it's still really good every time i watch it but most of them even sometimes the second time i watch it i don't make it all the way through because after i get through like half of the movie i i've fulfilled that feeling that i wanted to feel of oh that was cool remember how when i watched that the first time i didn't know about the ending yeah wow but yeah. after a while, you're like, okay, that's as far as I can go with yeah, that. You exactly, know, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You can't you get like, that one yeah. shock that makes it great the first time. Right. But like, I watch films over and over again because I, I they're enjoyable. Yeah, or they mean the movies that you're going to put right. in your top five, top 10, whatever movies that you, you personally love watching aren't going to be movies that you've watched once. And like, yeah. Right. And, and I don't know. I just, I think when you rely on on twists it diminishes the rest of the story you're telling because essentially the rest of the story is bullshit well yeah so, so i agree with you're, that to the you're openly that admitting with, that I, I your movie's that bullshit where you're saying you rely on the twist yeah like there are movies that i love that twists are the biggest part of the whole thing obviously that have enough weight in other departments to carry them through oh yeah definitely but like, if you rely on twists, it's, like, the same thing with, like, a, a, a horror movie or, like, a scary movie relying on, like, a jump scare. Right. You know? And, I mean... It, it just becomes gimmicky and right. there's no longevity to that. Right. And, like, there's plenty of films that have 
a good twist, but don't need to rely on it. Oh yeah, you know, like, like, because this is again the reason I keep comparing it to Shutter Island. It's what I would consider to be a world-breaking twist, because you're again you've been taught one thing about reality, but now reality is revealed to be completely the opposite of what you've been told. Right. So it it's not the same as like a last minute reveal of a, a close ally being the bad guy or something where you can you can still enjoy the rest of the movie because it doesn't just rely on the the villain being the villain in order for it to exist, you know. Right. Whereas when it it it's a twist about the main character, it's a little bit di- like if you watch a movie where the main character is actually the bad guy and that's revealed to you at the end, well that's interesting. But how much can you how many times can you go back and watch that when what you're watching is is like I said, it's bullshit. You're being yeah. bullshitted, you're being lied to or whatever. Mm-hmm. Your brain is just going to be like, okay, I, I'm I'm all set with this. Yeah. I, at least in my opinion. You no, know? I'm with you totally. Yeah. yeah, I feel you. But aside from all that, this is still a very good film. Yes. And uh, I think all three films tonight were very good. But uh, I think number one, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Kuroneko is number one, and then others, and then Beetlejuice. Same. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I hate when that happens sometimes because I love the conflict. Sometimes it does. But that's just kind of what it is, man. Like, yeah. Current Echo has a lot of longevity to it, a lot of replay value. It's, like, cinematic beauty aside from whatever you're going to know at the end of the story. Uh, you can watch that. There's a lot of complexity in the filming. That's way ahead of its time. Definitely. There are things that are clearly drawn from this director. Like, I mean, if you w- listen to our episode before where we talk about Onibaba, they're are so much continuity between these two films that are clearly influencers of a lot of modern film as far as uh, <coughs> cinematography goes. Right. You know, not necessarily thematic plot, anything like that, but just the way the camera is used in such a minimal way to the maximum. Yeah. Like, if that makes sense. I th- yeah, I think I know you what you're know? saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's there's a way that, like like, less is more. And that is such the case in a film like yep. this, where less is more in 90% of right. this movie. I think also Kuron Echo is the most pure ghost movie out of all three. Uh, and again, it'd probably be the same thing, you know, whereas the others and Beetlejuice kind of fit in a more like trying to break the barriers of ghost movies. Kuroneko is more like rooted in the ancient tradition of myth making and storytelling that at, at some points makes it tedious to watch, but at other points I think also makes it like feel like any fairy tale or myth that you've ever read. You know, it sounds like yeah. the story of Hercules or or any fable that you're being retold. And uh, the same thing can be said about Onibaba as well. So there's a immediate, like, n- you know, nostalgic connection or whatever to, to other stories that you've heard and everything. But it also takes that and then makes you feel a different emotion about that. I think that, by making 
you know, like you were talking earlier when we were talking about the film, um, this whole morality question or, or you know, the, the, the connection between the ghosts and yeah, the hero. It's, it's, a, it's more <clears throat> real life than most ghost movies right. and stories are. There's a lot more interpersonal, like, connections. There's, like, emotional junctions right. that these characters well, are approached with. There's also the whole question of whether or not the ghost's version and the human version are in any way close to the same thing. Right. You know, and I think you see a you see a vast distinction between the mother and the daughter in that respect. Like the daughter freely gives herself over knowing that she's gonna be condemned to hell if she stays with, with her, her husband and doesn't devour him. Yep. And also just to point out I, I love the 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 line of him having no idea how funny it is when he says i just want to devour you to yeah, her oh <laughs> that was so I great i just want to eat you yeah, up into yeah. little pieces or whatever it's like whoa yep and uh but but then the mother struggling more with it and then that whole moment near the end where he sees the like ghostly cat-like reflection of her like whether or not that is actually his mother or a reflection of his mother that's actually something much more evil. Like whether or not it actually has the ability to care for him. I think that's answered by the fact that it tries to kill him and, and such. And like he only barely escapes before essentially dying. I don't know if that's... Yeah, I'm guessing like that's death, how it death ends. Death sentence yeah. gets into the fucking... Yeah, he wanders out into the wilderness and just lies down in the ruins of his house in the snow. So, who knows? But, so I I definitely think that if you're going to go into a movie expecting uh, a ghost movie and you want something that's just like a straight up old school ghost movie, then that is definitely what Current Echo is. But it also brings so much more with that it's it's uh beautiful art it it fulfills you know your your intellectual art loving side but also your you know more basic desire to watch someone get eaten <laughs> by a, a cat woman yeah. <laughs> or whatever yeah, but yeah fucking what happens all right that so yeah um, i saw the lighthouse in you did yes there's the other day uh i without getting into it too much I thought it was a great movie, and if you're listening to this while it's still in theaters, I don't know how long it's going to be in theaters. It seems like it might have a limited run. So are you but team Are you team Edward or team Seagull? <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, Seagull. Yeah, uh, yeah team Seagull. But uh, I definitely recommend you see it in a theater if you can. It is a fucking very cool film. Right. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of depth to it. it it's one of the first times in a long time that I've left the theater like, whoa. Okay. But also, I didn't see uh, like Midsummer in theaters. Okay. So I, I, I yeah. had I seen that in theaters, I probably would have left. The same <laughs> right, feeling. right. But uh, yeah, I left that theater and I like was thinking about it and then thinking about it the next morning. It was one of those. Yeah. So definitely go see it if you can. Yeah, I'm going, plug, plug, I'm going to plug plugging that. Hell yeah. But uh, yeah. thanks for dealing with us. <laughs> thanks for dealing with us thank you once again listening. dear sweet listener for listening to another episode of my movies better 
We will be back soon for another final sixth episode in our Halloween extravaganza, Halloween Havoc. Uh, and we are going to be hitting up some of my favorite movies of all time, the classic Universal Monsters. Hell yeah. We got and some good ones. Yeah, we have some great ones. I we picked w- The Invisible Man. Yes, you did. You picked one, a fantastic landmark uh, oh man, you can say so much about it. A fantastic yeah, film, great film. Movie. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, and then you also picked another movie. Yes, I picked another great movie too, The Mummy from 1932, starring Boris Karloff. And the group pick is the 1954 classic, uh, The Creature, for, or Creature, not The Creature, yep. just Creature from the Black Lagoon. So that's three fucking, yeah. <laughs> three classic yep, fucking movies. Big time, big time. So uh, that episode will be coming out soon. And until then, please like, share, subscribe, and all the other things you do. Mainly, just please keep listening. Yeah, get on the Facebook yeah. group if you're not on it. Definitely. You literally yeah. pick the movies that we talk about. Exactly. You pick them. And if you have any feedback whatsoever, you can always reach us there or on Twitter or on Instagram or other places. Uh, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're all over the place, yeah. yeah. And, uh, as always, keep calm, carry on, go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> wait, no, it's good night, good luck, go fuck yourself. Yeah, but also keep on carrying. <laughs> yeah, but also keep on keeping Thank on. Thank you, fuck you. Keep on trucking. Appreciate it. Hang in there, baby. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm